that wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, oh Canada, weed's legal, baby. And we toast in a thimble of our finest maple syrup in salutations. Halloween is on the horizon, and we get down with some spooky video game memories. Andy gets a new switch and fires up them dead cells, man, while Dan revisits an Assassin's Creed favorite in Black Flag. Red Dead Redemption 2 is out. Bang! And we talk cannabis strains with rare terpene profiles via those geniuses over at Leafly and follow it up with a little of their cozy fall delights for stoners. Diablo 3 is slithering its way our way on November 2nd and the PlayStation Classic games have been released. We'll also be settling in for a smoke sesh, so stick around for that because it's going to be, from what I understand, a good, good, good time. I'm your host, Andy. Feeling a little energized, and with me as always, the one, the only, he's not wearing pants, Dank Dan. Andy, I'm attempting to land the Purple Dungeon Pod here in Toronto, but sensors can't penetrate this fog. I'm detecting high levels of dankness. Oh, dude, the highest levels. Toronto is approaching the highest levels of dankness ever, dare I say it. Oh, I mean, they're palpable, and you can really, really feel it in your eyes that's that's the primary location that's the primary location oh danny boy it's been a little while buddy we've been uh, we've been mia for a couple weeks here as i know you have settled into a new work schedule and i uh, have been abroad um but more importantly we've all just been a little too high given that canada's uh, legal weed my dude Woo! yeah we you did know, it you know what i gotta be honest i am a shifty boy now i'm doing shift works it's morning it's evening it's night and since legalization, I don't think I've uh, I've puffed, puffed, or passed. Oh, dude! Oh, man, dude. the heat is gone. Oh man, damn! Well, it's all right. We'll get we'll get you we'll get you landed. We'll get you landed. I mean, the rest of Canada has been smoking a lot of weed. I can tell you that much. <laughs> it's, well, yeah, it's been a hell I mean, of a there, thing. There's the one challenge. There's none to be had. The shelf stores are the shelf stores are empty. Yeah. Um, you know, and. Uh, I just want to ride dirty. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, dude, it's like, you know, um, I, certainly not us, but many stoners have uh, have toasted cannabis legalization in Canada by buying some good old-fashioned gray market weed, um, which, is really, <laughs> which is really a sad state of affairs. But it's true, you know, it turns out Canadians really wanted to smoke a bunch of weed, um, and the government, uh, who uh, fulfills distribution for most of the country, I mean, there's there's some complicated provincial-wide laws on how cannabis gets to retailers and how it gets to you, um, but the bottom line is, they had a weed, man. Canada is bankrupt. Yeah, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird uh, procedure. You have to write a letter, and then you have to go buy it from our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, personally. That's it's right. It's kind of strange, but he, he wanted to have his finger on the button on this one. Yes. And, uh, you know, he 
it's a it's ambitious, but I think it's going to work out. Yeah, it's all working out well. I mean, listen, man, um, boy, it's it's been a little bit of a rocky start. But hey, what are you going to do, dude? Like we, you know, you're coming out of a, a space where. Uh, you know, weed is illegal. You got no, no real means to judge exactly what kind of supply you're looking for. And, you know, the, the governments have to, have to work within a specific, you know, set of parameters for acceptable risk in stocking this stuff and for requesting it a year ahead of time. I gotta be honest with you. I kind of knew that most of cannabis wanted to smoke weed or Canada, not cannabis, Canada. (laughs) You just renamed our country on the fly. (laughs) And you know, you're not, you're not wrong. And you know, it's funny because there's no, there's no like soft opening. No, there's no ramp up. They're like three, two, one, four, 20 plays it. And like most of the places were sold out by noon. Yeah. Uh, Canada Post uh, overwhelmed and decided it was a good time to go on strike and they couldn't be more correct. Uh, you know, so yeah, a little, a little bit of rockiness, but we kind of knew once it was like with the amount of, uh, you know, folks that decided to smoke, uh, given the fact that it was prohibited by law, once, once they got the green light, pardon the pun, uh, there's no telling. And I wonder if they sampled, did they go into the masses? Did they get a hundred people in a room and they're like, no judgment who smokes now? No, really who smokes now? And also who's going to smoke? Because I think it was a pretty large percentage of folks. Because I, I work with a, an older crowd. Some of them are dealing with pain and whatnot. And, you know, we're talking about options for uh, their pain or going to sleep or appetite and things like that. And they were excited for legalization. They were a little bit tepid on the idea of, you know, trying to go find it in a world. Because if you, I, maybe you and I don't remember this and a lot of people out there don't. But some of our listeners don't have a guy. They right. haven't had a guy for 15 years and going and finding a guy is a very it's a touchy it's a touchy situation so now that the guy is like uh you know a a government appointed salesperson uh i can imagine there was quite a rush oh dan i know you've never had trouble finding a guy it's a swipe right act for you am i right the guys come to me (laughs) but yeah it's, it's 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 really true and yes they absolutely did um, do a sampling of, of, you know, what percentage of Canadians smoked while it was federally illegal and then what percentage, uh, were interested in smoking. And the numbers were staggeringly high. Like I think it was something like 26 or 27% of Canadians already smoked weed, which by the way is about 8% more than the amount of Canadians that smoke cigarettes. So that's a significant number. And then you couple that in with the people who had an inclination to try it after legalization, which again, I think that number was close to 40%. You got a real large swath of population looking at buying some weed. And so, you know, that's at the a end, bold jump. Yeah, that's true. And at the end of the day, it's hard to, you know, grow enough cannabis uh, for that amount of people buying it all at once. It's just simple supply chain economics. So, you know, I get where it's at. It's a, it's a shame. Um, that, you know, people are, people are going to have to go without weed for a little while or acquire it by other means, which, you know, I'd love to see that stamped out. I'd love to see it move into the, uh, strictly the, the easy legal way to buy cannabis and some people need their medicine. So that that's a thing also. So, um, that being said, I was at a grow the other day, a legal grow. Uh, and man, some of these licensed producers are scaling up in a huge way. I was, they're going big, dude. I was, I, I was I was witness to 1 million square feet of cannabis growing. Like you've not, you've, like I, I, I brought my rosary with me. me. There were tears in my yeah, eyes. Yeah, give me something to compare that to. What does a million square feet I, dude, of grow look like? It's like your entire neighborhood 
like 15 times. I, I can't even describe it to you. It was just, it was a total, total mind shock watching the landscape. And I mean, admittedly only half of it's under, or maybe a third of it's under develop or under uh, active growing right now, but you just look out and there's endless greenhouse space with just sophisticated equipment, you know, to aid in the trimming of these plants. Honestly, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to witness. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to, a lot to be excited about, uh, but yeah, supply is not there yet. You know what I'm really interested about though, Dan, I'm interested in the, uh, the retail landscape because, you know, I've been to, um, you know, Europe, Amsterdam, for example, where it was, uh, you know, where it's been legal for quite some time and they've got this, this cool kind of coffee shop culture. It's very quite relaxed. Yeah, it's really laid back. It's really chill. You know, you kind of go from coffee shop to coffee shop. There's little snacks and munchies in between. It's all very like, it's it's tucked in in the vein. It's what, what you might imagine an English pub crawl would be, right? And then, you know, you go Vegas style. And although they don't have any recreational cafes open yet, you know, you can you can kind of get a sense of where, where they're headed. You know, the, the dispensaries are all huge and, and you know, impressive and, and sophisticated. And, you know, I can imagine what um, a Vegas style or a California style recreational lounge or cafe would be like. And I'm just, I'm interested to see what Canada does with it. You know, if it's going to be like a casual kind of European style, how you ingest your cannabis being, you know, walking down the street, you grab your, you know, a uh, bag of groceries after work. No, I, I mean to say, you, you know, you grab your bag of groceries after work instead of going to the bar, you know, you slip into a cannabis lounge and have a, have a couple puffs on a joint and then, you know, go home after. Like, I just, I'm curious what it's going to look like, you know? So like Canada has some laid back attitudes, uh, in, in and amongst its people. I mean, we're generally a relaxed group, but we have this strange affinity for rules and, yep. That's that's coming in a big way for this this push. Like Ontario famously has the tightest liquor laws basically in North America, uh, save for dry counties in the U.S. And uh, I, marijuana is following suit in many ways. And, uh, you know, there's a commercial. I don't know you've, if you've heard it being playing. It's on TV. It's on the radio. And it's like uh, it's a lady, an older lady, and be like, why is marijuana being made legal? And then it's like an older gentleman asking or answering and being like, well, it's going to help us keep it out of the hands of children, uh, maintain a safe supply. Um, and there was like one other thing. It's like, uh, you know, and um, uh, oh, yes, uh, decrease and eliminate the black and gray market. Right. The criminal it, threat. So I got you. You know, so there's this like uh, there's. Uh, with all the liberal sensibilities around pot, there's like a large conservative section of the population that doesn't want this at all. And they're, they need to be, they need to be placated. Probably it'll probably be 30 or 40 years. Cause you know, the LCBO, which is the liquor control board of Ontario, you can't buy, um, you know, alcohol here in convenience stores, uh, you know, uh, or, uh, but that has just started to sort of soften. You can find beer and wine in our grocery stores for like, 
maybe the last 400 days. So there is some softening happening. Dude, so I, I, have to, I have to I have to heartily disagree with you on a couple points there. And and I agree with you. By and large, Canada is is one of, uh, you know, approaching these things with measure and, and in many cases, r- extreme or over-regulation. There's a lot of regulation around packaging and branding and all sorts of things that make it challenging to sell cannabis or to differentiate it because it is a it's a commodity product if you're not able to brand it or sell it in a specific way like you would liquor. But I mean, dude, when you look at the way that it's been legalized at the state level in Vegas, for example, or in, yeah. uh, in California, you cannot smoke that shit outside of a private residence. That's the law. Oh, yeah. In Canada. Vegas is famously tight. Famously the tightest state in, in terms of drugs of all kind, except alcohol. Except they alcohol. Pave the way. They're real down with that. But Canada, I was extremely surprised to understand, you can smoke almost anywhere. There's a few, I mean, you, yeah, can't, you, can't, you can't smoke on like a school property, but arguably you can't smoke cigarettes there either. But you know, Canada, we're very tight about where you can consume alcohol. You know, you can't even take a drink outside of a bar onto a patio to have a cigarette. But you can smoke weed literally everywhere man you can be walking down the street puffing on a J. the only thing you can't do is go for a blunt ride there's no smoking in the car and god bless that's yeah, no. just fine but- i, I want to know when when does it become uh super legal like if i'm on a skateboard and and huffing a bone am i good uh yeah boy that's a that's a dicey one i mean i could i could i could imagine it not being particularly safe for your well-being but i mean not that skateboarders don't smoke a shitload of weed anyway uh but you and me you and me on a skateboard with a little weed <laughs> recipe Together? for recipe a, a, a skateboard built for two a tandem skateboard you and me tandem skateboard weed on our way to death that's that's what can, it would look like you, there yeah can you and i play a quick three-part game it's called Guess the legality by country. And I'm going to give you three countries. I want you to give me the legality of the weed, you think, and if there's any stipulation. Sure. It's going to be fun. Okay, great. Let's start with, how about we start with Tanzania? Tanzania. Got it. And legality of weed? Yeah. Uh, I think in Tanzania, uh, you can uh, ingest cannabis, but only if it was purchased by a Disney character. That's true. And there's a little asterisk here. It's illegal, but remains the most common drug and produced for different usages, such as just domestic usage and exporting. So this is one of these countries. It's illegal, but wink, wink. Right. Um, it's not illegal. Gotcha. Let's try another one. Um, Jamaica. Jamaica. Um, I think uh, I think legal, um, but only if consumed with a beef patty. I like that answer too. Uh, also illegal, but possession of small amounts was reduced to a petty offense. And cannabis is locally known as ganja. That's a fun. Oh. That's a fun, a fun little thing. Um, Andy, let's let's hop right over. Wagwan. Wagwan, indeed. Wagwan. Switzerland. Switzerland. Um, uh, I think uh, legal, but only if consumed after uh, a full package of Ricola. <laughs> also illegal, but. Uh, small amounts decriminalize, um, and uh, something. Uh, some words here I don't understand, but it says several cantons begin to allow adults to cultivate and use cannabis in 2012, but then it was struck down by the federal courts. You, Switzerland used to be cool. You know what? Uh, you know how I think they struck it down, Dan. How's that? From atop a mountain. No more weed. Okay, that wasn't bad. Okay, bonus round. Uruguay. Uruguay. I think super illegal, uh, immediate, uh, immediate imprisonment for, uh, for life. Buddy, I was trying to pitch one right across the plate for you here. 
and because uh, uh, it is legal, and it's one of the most uh, widely used drugs in the nation. I know that. I know Uruguay's legal. It's all good. I thought you did. I was like I a little bit sad. I was like ready to like write down on a note and no, like, see man. me after the podcast. Uruguay's got them, got them creds, man. Got them creds. That's right. Yeah. Right. But uh, but yeah, back to Canada. You know, man, listen, I, I can't complain too much about the way it's been rolled out. Weed is legal in our fair country. Yeah, we got a supply shortage right now. What are you going to do? People want weed. And I can go outside and smoke it on my front step without getting shut down by the 5-0. Man, I'm into that. Like, I really think that they handled that. The Where you can consume it is the number one issue for me. Because, you know inside my house, you know, is not really where I want to be smoking cannabis. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the time it's out and about, it's after work, it's, you know, in a casual environment, you know, it's, 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 it's situation where I think the fact that I can buy cannabis at a dispensary, roll a joint or rather a cannabis retail store, roll a joint and go outside and smoke it really excites me. And I think that makes us just about the best spot in North America to come and chuff a bone. I've seen a couple signs like uh, sneak up around the city and they're so against my instinct because I think where can I uh, blaze it and not be like an athema to somebody else, like not be the the dick, you know, just like I wouldn't like you might not smoke a, a cigar you know, it's somewhere you you don't want to be obnoxious at the, at you the know, grocery that, store, <laughs> pushing at the grocery a, store, pushing your or like right at in the banana aisle, right at the entrance to like a hotel or who knows. Right. And, but I've seen these signs show up at, at uh, you know, city parks that are like, uh, you know, no smoking, no drinking and uh, no blunts. And I like it because they, they on the sign, there's a coner. And just in case you don't know what that is. And let's be clear, anyone who needs to know that what that is does know, but uh, they put a little weed leaf on the coner and, and, you know, the traditional, hey, don't do that here. But that the park feels like the right place, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, but there are many parks. There are many public parks where you can smoke. Um, Again, it's literally a uh, by omission legality so it's it's exciting if you don't see a sign that says you can't smoke weed you can probably smoke done. weed get it done I like uh, but i wonder All if right, that buddy. translates to like smoking bongs like can i take my bong into the middle of young street just sit down and have a session is that is that cool like can, can i make that happen it's not it's definitely not cool uh you probably won't get arrested but in the same way like you won't get arrested if you bring your hookah or your theremin on onto Bay Street, but you're gonna get some looks. You're gonna get some look. Yeah, hookah session. Okay, understood. Understood. Either way, man, it's a brave new world. Um, obviously, more to come with Canada, and you know what? More to come with the USA. Like it's just incredible, even the texture of the conversation. Because like straight up, I was in Denver when weed legalized in Canada, which kind of bummed me out a little bit. I'm not gonna lie to you, it was a little sad not to be in Canada when we went legal. But just the just the conversation I'm hearing from Americans around cannabis, not just in Denver, obviously that's a legal legal spot, but you know around the nation, and just just like some of the shit that's coming out. Mike Tyson has a has a reality show where he's becoming a, a cannabis grower now, right? The amount of weed related shit you're seeing on Netflix, you know, uh, it's fascinating because Donald Trump and and actually the the Democrats, who you know many are hoping will uh, will seize the, uh, the Senate uh, after the election, um, you know most of them do not have cannabis reform on their long list of shit to do. Um, And that's fine. You know, there's other things to to focus on. But I'm pretty damn sure if I were a betting man, I would say legal weed in the United States, federally legal weed in the United States by the time of the next election or shortly thereafter. That would be my guess. What about you? I think you're right. I think 
it's going to be probably a major conversation in the next election. Um, and the Republicans may get on side because there's some oh, yeah. great if you're you're pro Republican agenda like a classic Republican, um, you like freedom, right? Uh, you know, some some a self determination and tax dollars. Uh, you know, products need to be taxed, and yeah, uh, both of those things legalization is is into it exactly pro business. Well, it's like in so, it's um, like in Toronto here. You know, our uh, our mayor Doug Ford, love him or hate him, or our mayor Jesus. No, he's the premier of the province. Holy smokes, well Canadian done. Canadian politics, yay! But you know, the, the premier Doug Ford, love him or hate him, um, you know, conservative conservative dude uh, took you know took cannabis retail out of the hands of the government and turned it into the private sector as of April. So you got someone who is you know. Uh, conservative, which admittedly conservative Canadian does not equal conservative American, but you know, pro business being what it is, wanted to make them tax dollars, wanted to make sure that there's opportunities in the in the uh, you know in the in the private sector to go out and make money on cannabis. Um, yeah, it's 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 something that he's he's vouched for or he's uh, he's positioned himself for. So it's quite the thing. I'm sure we will see it happen in in the USA. Whether it happens on the Democrat or Republic side of the aisle, I actually at this point don't think it matters. Yeah, I think once it's very clear to both sides how much revenue, um, you know, is on the table, that's something that they can both get behind. Uh, especially as they start to understand that it's a losing fight, you know, uh, it's it's uh, it's kind of an inevitability. Yep, the inevitability. Yes, dude. Uh, anyway, moving on from from legal weed, but for real, go legal weed. Damn. But yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I bought another switch. I, I softened up. <laughs> I threw down that money and I picked up a switch and I've been playing the shit out of switch games. I'm so goddamn happy to have my switch back. I cannot tell you. Um, listeners of the podcast will remember that I left my switch on a plane to Amsterdam and uh, it's gone. So, <laughs> so that's Andy, a thing. I hope when you picked up this new switch, um, you did two things. Number one, bought some Nintendo stock. Because at this t point, you should be sort of uh, enjoying some of the upswing of these purchases. And number two, like, got a nice wallet chain for your Switch. No, man. I said, I said, hell, hell to the man, and bought it on the uh, on the secondary market uh, from a good, Ooh. a good, a good friendly pawnbroker. Pawn? You went to the pawn shop? Yeah. Well, it, it, you know what? I live in a small town where, like, the pawn shop is also the most respectable pillar of the community around. <laughs> so it's like, it's our. It's also the barber shop. It's also the, yeah. It's also where you pick up your mail. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, the gentleman there. Uh, yeah, gentleman there flipped me his wonderful switch. Uh, you know, in great condition for with complete in box and everything like that for three hundred bucks. Three hundred bucks Canadian. Uh, to put it into perspective, in Canadian dollars at retail. You're looking at 379 bucks plus tax, and we have a 13, 14, 14 now, 13 tax, which brings you well north of that 400. In fact, I believe it's around 420 dollars, bro. You know, but when you flipped that switch over, you immediately inquired about the the holes in the bottom of that. He's like, "Oh, don't worry about that. Uh, we had to drill the holes in the bottom to let the blood of the previous owner drain out, but it works fine. <laughs> it works just fine. Listen, a little blood of the previous owner just adds adds spice. That's a feature. That's a feature. That's a feature. It's not an issue. Dan, when are you getting a switch? You know, it's funny. My sweet, sweet lady asked me the very same question. Um, I, she was in tow with me when I picked up Red Dead, and she's like. Hey, what happened to us getting a switch? When's that happening? And I, and 
uh, my man Pat behind the counter at uh, Electronics Boutique answered so quickly. He's like, "Oh, that's a Christmas thing." It's a Christmas thing, and I was thing. like, "Stacy, oh, <laughs> that's a Christmas thing, my lady." And uh, she seemed to be placated by that. Right. I think it's actually more specifically an after Christmas thing. I think that's a Boxing Day thing, my dude. Yeah, yeah, and I mean Boxing Day is part of Christmas. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement, like, do you my think man. I can wiggle around, buddy. I've made some December commitments. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Don't. So, uh, pro tip: don't get your lady a switch for Christmas. <laughs> let me just let me pitch that one across the across the plate for you. No, no, no. There's that's that's like an us gift. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you know what I'm setting myself up for if I write uh, a sweet, sweet lady on the box and hand it to her. Cat, I'm a lot setting of couch myself time. up and not not to uh, never not in a good way. <laughs> to never get to play that switch. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's the least of your worries. I think uh, right. a, a domestic separation is probably the more accurate one. But hey, bada boom, bada bing. You know, I my my girlfriend is not like is not quick to anger. She's she's pretty good that way. Um, I've made some other commitments that if I don't fulfill on, there might be a rapid separation. Oh yes, but uh, the switch one, the switch one's a soft. It's a little bit of a soft pitch. <laughs> it's a soft play. Got it, dude. It is. Uh, it is almost Halloween. I'm pretty excited about it. It's my favorite. So, just for anyone that knows me, knows that like October one to January three is like my favorite time of the year. And in Canada, we get it good. We get that fall, that nice ease into fall. You got your, you know, warm drinks. You got a little stew going sweater. on. Yeah, sweater. No jacket. No jacket. Just sweater. Sweater. Throw, throw a scarf on. Don't throw, need a jacket. Don't need Love a jacket. It. Get in there. Get out there. Jump in some leaves. Uh, and then, you know, you, right about this time, you get all the spooky, scary shit going on. You get a little bit of that right. ooh stuff going on. And, and, you know, I feel like with Cannabis Legal... It's going to be a real smoky one. It's going to be a real smoky Halloween. Yeah. Um, and Forget I, the dry ice in the haunted house. We got it covered. That's right. And so, you know, my Halloween is going to look a lot like taking my two beautiful little daughters out to go trick-or-treating. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, bring them around the neighborhood, get them yeah. tucked, tucked safely into bed for 8 p.m., after yes. which I will be ordering a pizza, ding dong, and um, you know, uh, doing a little blunt ride right into probably some Monster Hunter if I were to if I were to wager. But maybe something spookier. I picked up a copy of Doom recently, so I might might give that a go. What about yeah, that, you? That's workable. What do you got there for uh, on the daughter costume? You got yourself a, like a ladybug and a unicorn. What, what's the jam? Uh, I think we're going Disney characters. There's some there's some Disney characters. Yeah. Choice Disney characters. Right. Yep. What well, about what about yourself? Say I saw the Disney the, ta- char- say the Disney characters, but not their actual name. Something that like rhymes with it. No. Nope. Oh, okay. Saw that you were a pirate for Halloween. I I brust I busted out the pirate costume, dreads and sword and all, um, to attend karaoke, which Sorry. is one of my favorite Halloween activities. Sorry, this isn't a this isn't a specifically Halloween or even this Halloween costume. This is just your pirate outfit. Yeah, it's like yeah, you gotta open it up. Start with the pirate costume. You just have you just got a pirate costume. It's like an every yeah, it's I like mean, a it's like an occasion. Yeah. I mean sometimes you need to dress up like a pirate. And uh, my sweet lady uh, threw together a, just a magnificent uh, mermaid outfit. Oh, um, isn't that nice? Full with, fully with, like, makeup on scales. And she was wearing, like, crazy glitter. And uh, she really went all out. Best best costume in the house, that's for sure. Oh, isn't that nice? Well, you had a nice, mer- and then, nice then mermaid. And then she sung No Doubt. I was the uh, the Beastie Boys intergalactic rapping pirate 
which is exactly what you want. You were the beastie pirate, the the the, the butt pirate. You were the butt pirate. You want, um, you know, I'm all about that booty. Ooh. You want your pirate to be spitting hot rhymes. I think that's clear, right? Yeah. No. No doubt. No doubt. Um. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I mean, just just thinking down that wavelength of spooky games to play. Uh, I was actually like this morning. I was kind of chewing over over breakfast. Um, what would be my Halloween? Because Halloween, again, it's a dear to dear holiday to me, and I'm trying to figure out something just sp- like I'm a little bit of a. Let's be real, I'm a little bit of a bitch. Like let's just let's just put that out there. Scary things in me, you know, not so good. Like I gotta gotta wake up for work in the morning, and if I spend half the night freaked out by a ghoul trembling in fear trembling in fear that's that's not it's not where i want to be i'm scooping a, scooping shit out of your shoe that's it i got responsibilities i got commitments to meet uh so i don't have time to be super scared um but you know i want to pick something suitably spooky for me to jump into uh halloween style so i was just just kind of revisiting some of the spookiest games i've ever played want to go through a little impromptu list there danny some of the spookiest games we've ever played um, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. All right, let me kick it off. Uh, number one, Half-Life. That shit was spooky. Spooky, spooky. In that facility, head crabs everywhere, generators blowing up, and you're, you're getting yourself out, and all of a sudden, the people who came to rescue you turn out to be even more devilish than you expected. Yeah, it was uh, it was a real, real mind fuck back in, what, 1990-something? Yeah, yeah. The head munchers, like the ones that pull you up to the ceiling, oh. those are particularly freaky. You got to flip over to that crowbar and jam it in their craw at oh, the yeah. right moment or you get crunched to death. That one actually really those didn't long, get me, to be honest Those long, levacious tongues licking down to pull you up to the ceiling. I got to be honest with you, you know, I, I reapproached Half-Life a few years back. I think it was on playstation 2 or something it came out and uh was expecting to to not be particularly spooked out given that the graphics had aged quite a bit and you know obviously it was a game that i'd played many years previous nope still really scary still really bitched out on that one so half-life hats off and half-life 2 obviously goes without mentioning is, is still it's more of an eerie like uncanny kind of spook you know what i mean it's not jump scare it's like it just makes you uncomfortable there's a loneliness to the game, too, that kind of gets to you between the moments that things happen. You have just enough time to sort of settle into comfort, and then something blows up, and, you know, a head crab jumps through some elevator doors. I don't know if it would be spooktacular for me now, but at the time, certainly. Certainly. Certainly spooky. Uh, what about you? You know, I got to throw it out there. Um, similar era. Resident Evil 2 oh. was frightening for me i didn't play resident evil one i only experienced it through my gamer magazine i forget which one it was um you know but the sheer fear of like trying to shoot these zombies that are slowly like eking their way towards you and moaning these guttural moans uh, and you're just like your shots are folly. There's not enough bullets. They're they're not placed properly. Um, and the creatures diving through windows. You see, you know, a shadow in front of a window, and then another window, and then nothing happens, and they burst out the second time you go by them. That's expert level hauntingness, and uh, it had me a uh, clenched uh, butthole the entire time. Nice. Yeah. I, you know, I've traditionally never really found zombie game oh i shouldn't say that yeah i'm thinking like left for dead and stuff like that and, and a lot of that is like a little bit too uh cartoony like too fortnighty to really be, yeah to be scary you're you you got some power in there but i've never but played a resident like looking evil at, so that's you're looking yeah. at your inventory and you go okay 
I have 13 bullets. Right. So, <laughs> like, when you're really thinking to yourself, I wonder if I can knife this zombie to death before he bites me. Right. Understood. Uh, so, sorry, Resident Evil 2 was for what? That was for PlayStation, the original? PlayStation. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's been remade a couple of times. Uh, a quick aside, I uh, I was uh, in high school, living at home. I have siblings, as you know. And I, uh, I picked up Resident Evil Code Veronica and left it on top of my PlayStation 2. Um, and, or 3, I, may, I think, maybe at the time. Anyway, neither here nor there. I come downstairs and my younger brother, who's about an eight at the time, is has begun playing this game. And as I walk down, he's being chewed on by two zombies and he's like visibly shaking and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm like, I come down and turn off the TV and like cover his eyes and like him hug. I'm like, I was watching him like mid traumatization. Oh, I'm like, nope, uh, pal, that one's too much. That one's too much for you. <laughs> oh, buddy. You just spent, you spent the next three hours just cuddling him in the corner. Yeah, I got you. I, I legit took him out for ice cream. Oh, buddy. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's the only move that's, and you know what? I think we like, both felt better. Vanilla cures a lot of things. Cures a lot of things. It also it also saves you from the ass whooping that your fundamentally Christian parents would have levied upon you had they known you were exposing your uh, your younger brother to Satan's work. Oh, there would have been there would have been a pound of there would have been a pound of flesh, and I didn't know that you could witness like you could see into the eye of like brain damage through mental stress, but I was seeing it. You were he there. was vibrating. Nice. I I he'd captured something, and you, you know what. Resident Evil is one of those games you don't know how bad it is until it's upon you because it starts innocuously enough. Usually in a lonely place, you're like, "Where is everybody?" Right. Uh, and it and by the time it, it lets itself be known, it is too late. It's too late. I got you. Yeah. I um. I wow. I should jump into. Re I've wanted to do Resident Evil. I just again, a little bit of a bitch. Um. American McGee's Alice. Like, listen, not that spooky by today's standards. Probably not that spooky by then's standards. But it was just weird enough to give you like kind of stress nightmare weird and challenging enough to give you stress dreams you know it was the kind of game that i would play late at night and it was just had enough arcadiness that you know it wasn't so intense i could keep going uh the game was was uh quite it was a twisted version of alice right a twisted version of the alice in wonderland fairy tale i'm not sure how many people have played that game but yeah definitely uh definitely left me with some weird dreams about demonic jabberwocky etc Alice in Wonderland, like, normally is a little bit bizarre and could be nightmare-fueled. So when it gets, like, chopped and twisted with that American Horror Story vibe, I can see that for sure. Yeah, American McGee um, came up with a really haunting look for the Cheshire Cat, too. It was... It was kind of like had a He's really very sharp, yeah, really sharp, really narrow neck, really very stylistically a very cool game. I, uh, I really enjoy. I think they came out with a sequel at some point. I don't think it did very well, but anyway, onwards and upwards. Uh, you go. Uh, great, Silent Hill has to be chief among it. It is one of the most like off-putting nails on a dirty chalkboard. Everything's icky and scary games i've ever played really uh it, it, it oh man it's like there's a mist around everything there's like this feeling of like guilt and depression across the whole uh the whole game you, you like the game really focuses on somebody who's done something horrible and they're being 
punished by their own guilt that and this is all subtext that is manifest in the game with these like broken over nurses and uh, you know in Silent Hill 2 pyramid head this giant um, like uh, almost looks like a butcher type guy's dragging a sword behind him and he has a giant pyramid metal uh, object on his head um, it, it is it's a rough game it is scary it is immersive it gives you there's no o- oasis in this game do you right. know what I mean like there's no point where it goes uh, okay, now you're safe. Take a breath. That never happens. It's constant pressure. The, the grinding noises and uh, just the atmospheric sounds, the dark hallways, it's so creepy. And this is one of these games that was uh, from an early PlayStation. I think it was PS2. Um, it may, the first one may have been PS1. I'm sorry, guys. I'm bad with my PlayStation uh, edition history. But it was one of these games I had borrowed. So I was committed to beating it in one sitting, and it was like a 40-hour sitting. So... It, it wore on me in a very specific way because I also had no respite and uh, it it haunted my dreams for a while in a very legitimate way. Yeah, no, I get that. I never played Silent Hill. Uh, oh, Code Veronica, by the way, released in 2000. So you probably, you likely played that on your, either your Dreamcast or your PS2. Not a Dreamcast. Not a no. Dreamcast. It was originally launched, released for Dreamcast, yeah. if you recall. Yeah. Uh, boy, you played way scarier games than I did. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my next one is going to make you, uh, and this one's a recent title, obviously, but um, I, get a, I get a lot of spook out of Destiny. Like, I'll be honest with you. Anything, Pardon? Anything Hive, leave me leave me alone. Anything Hive, especially the most recent, Destiny 2, uh, where you're you're on the, the water tankers, you know, when you first arrive and you're like going, it's just spooky. It's a little spooky. They're like creepy. Andy, what, are you, what character did you play as uh, in Destiny? I was a warlock. Master so you harness shadow. the dark magic That's and it. you have like a, a shotgun yeah. and a machine gun and yeah. a rocket launcher, but it still gives but you the it's EBD fucking GVs, spooky. Eh? Like, listen, that game <laughs> has some atmosphere going on. There's like dark corners. There's those running ghouls. I don't know. Destiny stresses me Andy, out. I, like honestly, again, you got to hand in your guardian badge, buddy. I know. I hold it. I'm not. No, I will. We got not a nice desk job for you here in the tower. We need somebody to help the the crypt arc do some decoding. I think you're going to be riding the desk. I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the engram filer. We need lots of starship mechanics. It's an important role. It's an important role. Yeah. I mean, uh, boy, I, I don't know. What it's it's less like. Again, it's not scary in the traditionally Silent Hill kind of way. There or the or the whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's like. It's it's alien. It's very alien. It's very uh, uncanny for me. The hive, you know, mm-hmm. even in the moon, like that shit was like you're, you're fuck, dude. You're in the fucking bowels of the moon in like an evil temple to some quasi undead burrowing race. Like that's that's the premise for some scary shit. Let me tell you, it, it's There's- silent and eerie. And, and you're right about that. Like the first time I went to the moon, and you're going through, um, you know, the the inner workings, and and when you start to get swarmed. Um, that can be pretty horrifying or if you take the wrong turn and you're standing in front of a, a hive night that can be terrifying yeah but you know the the memory that's more clear for me is I played des- a de- mode of destiny that I made myself it's called uh, uh I think I called it lunar cowboy destiny so what I did is I went to the moon and just took my revolver and I would just roll around the entire moon all through the inner workings just like headshotting everything I could find with my revolver one shot um, and that's what I remember but you know this is at a higher power level and this is a game i'm right this is a mode that i created for my own enjoyment 
uh, at level four, you know, when all your weapons are gray and uh, you're getting swarmed, there's some anxiety. Yeah, man. I, feel. I mean, like, come on. That's like, oh, yeah. No, no, no. The Exorcist isn't scary. I mean, I've been watching it for six weeks on repeat throughout the day while I eat my breakfast cereal and come home and have a nice relaxing bath. But, you know, it's 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 just not scary. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Eddie, you're, you're just accustomed to it at that point. Where you come in on this? In terms of like movies like The Exorcist, that's my least favorite ver- version of scary. Never seen it. Anything that's like gross scary. Yeah, I'm like, with you. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Um, Hostel. The Fly. I don't know about The Fly. Hostel, that's torture porn. I so hate I'm it. also going to put Horrible. that in the no thank you No area. thank you. I don't want to see. For fucking sure. That's for somebody that like is rooting a little bit for the bad guys. Like same thing with like House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's Rejects. If you need to be rooting for the 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 bad guy, and I don't mean anti-hero, I mean the bad guy to enjoy it, that's not my movie at all. No. But I mean like movies like um, uh, 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 The Fly or where there's like a bunch of like just really gross oh, stuff. There's a movie called one. Slither. Centipede, the Centipede movie, the one about... The human oh. Centipede. You know, honestly, I had a boss who showed me the Human Centipede. It didn't show me the movie, just showed me a trailer or whatever. Honestly, that shit stayed with me for like six months. That is not for. I'm I didn't see sure the Ministry movie. of Labor would have something to say about that. Yeah, man, that, that was traumatized. And like, I can't. Now that you've brought it up, I can't. Oh man, I really wish I hadn't thought about the centipede. Oh my <laughs> fuck. Oh, so how, who, you can tell like uh, like how many studios like took that pitch. And you, yeah, I just, I love, I like, I would shoot this as a short comedy skit where the the camera is on the guy pitching it for the like well, as he does the whole pitch, and then it pans around the room to like just the agape, <laughs> slack jaw jawed faces. Like you want to like they hit, they're what? like they just hit the phone and they're like security. Can someone please get this? <laughs> raving psychopath out of here yeah i'm sorry we that's were not a movie that you described that's a stress dream like what are you i talking know about? i know but it's like yeah we were gonna make your movie bob but unfortunately Stu, our executive producer just shit his pants and vomited everywhere <laughs> so we're gonna have to go ahead and hard pass on that one <laughs> so you're just like dude tom can you run me a hot shower get out of my office <laughs> get out of here i have some men i have some mending to do uh, i need some bleach for my eyes oh, and my soul uh let's move on ocarina of, okay this is really gonna be fucking this is really getting me off the off the off my cred wagon here but ocarina of time had some spooky shit in it let me, t- <laughs> let me tell you right now let me make a case that well dan that well yeah. was spooky you got like, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? You get to the bottom of the well. You're like using your mystical looking glass to get down there. And it's just fucking zombies that jump on oh. your head and eat your face the whole time. Uh, Andy, yeah, I, I don't know if this is podcast appropriate, but I have just lost all power in my house. Are you still recording? I am still recording. Great. Um, we're talking about spooky stuff. And all the power <laughs> just went out of my house. I'm legitimately kind of spooked um i can would it be good podcast material for me to go check on my sweet lady live Uh, no she's already been she's already been taken by the dark lord it's all good dan what's going on if this is (laughs) oh buddy i'm so legitimately spooked um i got the mic here in my hand just because it might be because like the power went out while we're talking about even my cats like get me out of here oh my god let me check the rest of the house this is this is like oh my sweet lady you managed to find her 
we're talking about scary movies mm-hmm. in the podcast. And I think as we're talking about it, the light bulb burned out in the room. Creepy. And so I'm just talking about it, all the lights go out. And I'm like, and I call for you and I don't hear anything. I'm like, well, it's nice knowing everybody. I'm about to get. He's getting murdered. Murked. Well, we're. we're you're welcome. Andy recommended that you're our, you're lost to us. Yeah, yeah. No, taken by the dark one. Let's uh, let's zoom back in before I have to do some unnecessary editing to this podcast. Get in there. So pl- please tell me about the spooky well. And if another light bulb bursts, podcast is over. No hating. No hating on the spooky. Like, listen, Ocarina of Time had a spooky fucking well. You go down there, you get into the, you know, you're, I forget what you're looking for, but all you hear is, and then the zombies, they jump on your head and, and eat your face in admittedly a delightfully animated way, but still spooky. Bongo Bongo. Come on, man. Shadow Temple. You remember that shit? That is a disembodied pair of hands playing you on a giant bongo. Sounds less scary than it was, but it definitely was. You go to sleep. You wake up like 10 years later. The entire town is run by zombies, infested by zombies. New Hyrule, man. And and also the water temple. That shit was scary. Right? Homie, the moon has a terrifying man face. And I seem to recall... Uh, like a super spooky mask that you can put on that like makes you into a quasi dead thing. Am I making that up? No, no, that's you are thinking of Majora's Mask, but fine, same game basically. You know, same same oh, same era. I'm I'm combining I'm combining games. So yeah, you were talking about Ocarina of Time. I would say Majora's Mask is the scarier of the two games, um, just straight up. However, it, it, the thing about something like Zelda suddenly being scary is I feel like you don't expect it. Do you know what I mean? You're playing My Little Pony, and then out of nowhere, like uh, zombie worms infect your brain, and you're like, I wasn't prepared for this. Yeah, this was man. not on the agenda. I'm with you there. You know, Ocarina of Time had some legitimately spooky moments. Like, the whole graveyard scene is just, it's its not spooky in an overt way. It's really weird, like, going back to it, but just, like, remembering the way that, like, just the, the sense of isolation and impending doom that Ocarina of Time could channel. Because you're right, Majora's Mask had a more overtly spooky, like they were trying for spooky in many cases, right? The moon was spooky. It was all, it was all a little creepy. The, the, the skull child's, you know, whole get up was spooky. But Ocarina of Time managed to get that like lonely on the precipice of doom and also you're plunging the depths of some creepy shit. Pose really creepy like even the forest temple the music just creepy man and also like like i said the water temple the water temple was one part claustrophobic you're underwater most of the time you know you're confused most of the time super disorienting just you know you can you can really leave that game with a sensation of just being stressed out but stressed out's the wrong word of being Andy can you be frustrated and scared at the same time you, I don't even know it's it's, it's like, like can you be can you be angry when you say the word bubbles I don't think I could be that's why the water temple wasn't uh, scary for me I was too angry at it you know yeah yeah I get I get what you're saying I mean maybe the water temple is a bit of a stretch but you know there, there's just there's some genuinely creepiness in that game that it doesn't approach a Silent Hill kind of scare, but I, I maintain Ocarina of Time had some shit that stayed. Put it me. on the board. Put yeah. it on the board. All right. Uh, I got. I got to pitch this. It's already in the back of your head. Slender Man. Don't know what that is. Oh, uh, it started as a Steam game, uh, as I recall. I f- I first saw it on some less less Let's Plays, and uh, you know I think I jumped in halfway through it, 
and it's a first person shooter type type view but there's no gun to be had and um the the guys running through this you know forest and picking up in in the dark picking up notes and the notes say creepy things on them like little things like he has no eyes and he follows you and things like that and then I, and there's a flashlight that gets turned on and off. He's turning on and off the flashlight. I'm like, what is this game about? And then you start to hear like static and and like this weird staticky screaming. And he glances into the forest and Slenderman's standing there. And the the guy who's doing the let's play suddenly turns away and runs away. He's like, oh no, there he is, there he is. In Slenderman, the, the guy Slenderman is slowly drawing towards you. You need to get all his notes before he gets on you. And as he gets closer, it's like a Cthulhu-esque esque like effect the closer he gets to you the faster your mind starts breaking and you're hearing static and he's just a dude with no face wearing a suit who's very slender uh hence the name and the game is nerve-wracking right yeah that does it is nerve-wracking that's it's an example of it's funny because like the more we talk about this list the more i realize there's overt horror in games and then there's like the uncanniness or the 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 horror that occurs in games that aren't about horror you know, and yes. uh, yeah, it's it's fa- Slender Man sounds horrific. Um, what about like I'm trying to think? I mean, that's that's most of my list to be honest with you. I, I don't play a lot of s- scary games by by design. Uh, do you have any other ones you wanted to touch on before we we adjourn? Yeah, I mean, uh, creepy Resident Evil in space uh, in the game Dead Space. Oh, Dead Space. You got yeah. these morphing. Uh, uh, undead zombie creatures that have like taken over the crew and the game gives you very little information and you're cutting off their limbs and they're coming at you and just the whole game it just you just feel it's you're on edge the whole time just space alone is horrifying enough but you add these necromorphs i think they call them and they're like twisted human bodies horrible yeah horrible i mean beyond reason. I mean, not for me you know anyone who knows me knows that space and aliens are my two like biggest fears like signs was a movie i watched as a youth that that had me you know laying in bed next to 16 half full glasses of water for most of you know (laughs) most of the month Um, swing away andy swing away swing away yeah i mean you know alien movies in general do not sit well with me and i just i find space so uncanny you know watching uh what the hell was that The, the matthew mcconaughey movie the recent one interstellar interstellar yeah man like something about that like again that movie is not overtly spooky but it damn does the claustrophobia and the you know the uncanniness of space ever get to me you know oh that movie hints at it hard my sweet lady i brought her to the theater and the moment where where his daughter is in her room and a book gets knocked off the shelf uh, uh, my sweet lady grabs me and she's like did you take me to a scary movie i'm like no 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 i'm like i don't I don't think so. Like I, yeah. anything could happen, I guess. But yeah, no, I get it. I mean, the slow realization that other than this blue marble on which we make home, the entire galaxy and universe is the most horrifying, inhospitable place in it you can imagine. As that like sinks into you, yeah, space becomes pretty horrifying. Space becomes pretty spooky, dude. Space becomes pretty spooky. You know, the it's and it's it's again, it's testament to like game does you can create scenes in video games that leave an impact of the the same kind of impact that terror leaves with you without being jump scare you know what i mean like the scene from interstellar where they're on the uh where they're on the water planet and there's the giant wave coming like 
let's be real movie about a giant wave not that scary but you you know you you add in a couple variables like like interstellar does and all of a sudden it's an extremely memorable scene and you know what are we talking about we're talking about some water you know same thing with i like a movie that feathers in two fears one very very basic and obvious and one existential so uh fear number one you're gonna get murdered by this murder wave fear number two while you're on this water planet your children have grown old and you've missed their entire life (laughs) it's god what a movie so bad Spoilers, Jeez, I apologize. So if you haven't just, seen it, you're a real you brilliant movie. A real brilliant movie. Yeah. Um yeah, anyway. Spooky Halloween movies. Probably Ocarina of Time, probably not my choice, you know. Uh unless you have do you have any you know, that last last minute selections there before we move on? Uh homie, I got I'll drop two pieces of knowledge on you. Alien Isolation is such a horrifying game of cat and mouse where the cat is a super cat with two mouths and acid blood horrifying game definitely give it a shot i hear it's in vr i don't think i can handle it i think my heart would explode um it is quite terrifying and i gotta say for a bonus not a video game a movie but the award for the creepiest final shot of any movie ever this movie from the 70s called sleepaway camp if you can dig that classic up it has the scariest final shot andy I challenge you to Google it when you uh, when you're feeling brave. No, I think it's free on YouTube. Nah, nah, I'm good, nah, dude. Dog. Nah, dog. Nah, dog. I'm fine with that. Alrighty, dude. Well, happy Halloween. Hopefully, you enjoy yourself uh, a good spooky game. I'll probably I'll probably opt for. Damn, I, I think I'm I'm probably gonna jump into Doom in a big way. You know, just just take a look at what that has to offer me in the in the form of just blatant jump scares. Um, I'm gonna stay away from anything truly creepy. What about yourself? What what's your what's your I, Halloween night pick? I think it's a good call. Um, Like, as for a scary game, I don't think I have anything on deck, to be honest with you. I think you're going to have a hard time pulling me away from Red Dead. Crypt of the Necrodancer. (laughs) Keep that one. Crypt of the Necrodancer is too delightful. You know what I mean? Get your groove on. That's that's more Monster Mash. The most recent Resident Evil looks so deeply horrific, and I actually might download that and play it with my sweet lady. And she will be so bone chillingly horrified, like jump out of her skin, scared. Like this, this game goes from like Claire Redfield running around shooting things to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre levels of fear. And uh, we'll see how she does. We'll see how I do. Like let's let's be direct. Well, if you want to never, uh, yeah, if you never want to leave the house again for fear, for her oh, I fear. think you have to leave the house. The, the whole thing takes place at a house. Oh you yeah, need to very be, good. Uh, you know, safely outdoors. Well, I think the I think you know one other title if you were to explore it would be the Evil Within Two. I think the Evil oh. Within. I think it came out about about a year ago, and uh, my understanding is it's one of the creepiest games uh, in design. So that that may be. I mean, damn, I don't think I have the I don't think I have the chutzpah to muster that one up. But you never know. Is the Evil Within the indifference of man? Is it one of those things? Oh shit, I have no idea. I haven't played it, but okay. uh, but it All looks right. it looks it, yeah, it looks like a. You know what I'm looking here as like a Tarantino-esque level of gore, and also apparently is is quite creepy at the same time. So sounds exactly Fair like enough. what I don't want to play. Sounds like not up my alley. Uh, anywho, uh, this episode of Purple Dungeon Squid, episode number twenty-nine. Dan, we're, we're leaning in on that magical number thirty. We're almost there. Thirty is the point where you really start to hit your power. 
you really find your zen. And I think maybe we're there. Yeah, Dan's starting to hit his power early and often. Uh, Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by Whedon Video Games. Whedon Video Games, we salute you. Uh, and, uh, boy, not much else to say about that. Also brought to you by Just Five More Minutes Mom. Whether it's in the morning or at night, ask for those five more minutes and try to make it 15. She'll be angry, but you'll be asleep. Just five more minutes, Mom. <laughs> Sounds like you have the same childhood I did. Uh, brought to you by Mike Tyson's new cannabis career. I grow the cannabis because it's peaceful and I enjoy it. I don't think I got it, man. My Mike Tyson's weak. I really want to take a, a, bite, a, a bite out of the new let industry. Me let me try it again. There's a, there's a lot of THC. It's <laughs> not bad. Uh, brought to you by Man Buns. Suave, stylish, or ridiculous? I'll let you decide. Sticky Man Buns. Stick, Get yours today. Sticky Man Buns. Brought to you by Accidentally Drinking Bong Water. Don't regret your life? Accidentally drink that bong water. The worst is you put ice in there, so it's cold. You didn't know until you took a full gulp. Accidentally drinking bong water. Better than intentionally drinking bong water. And finally, brought to you by that elusive orange drink McDonald's used to have. Decommissioned as a beverage, now used to clean out the inside of nuclear reactors. <laughs> Dude, you're probably right. I gotta be honest, it was delicious though, wasn't it? It, it, it was always brought by the person who's like, I don't want to bring orange slices. This is orange drink. That's similar. It's come here, similar. soccer children. Come come to me and get diabetes. It was like some hybrid of Tang and Orange Crush. I don't even know what it was, but it was delicious. If you want to actually sponsor this podcast, hit us up, HMU, at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with all of this nonsense. I'm never going to stop. He, he won't. He won't. He told me. Ooh, Danny boy. Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan A. Dude, I got my Switch back, and I am in good shape. I have been tearing up me some Switch. Switch back. Yeah, I've been playing he some. got his Switch back, yeah. Shamefully enough. I mean, we're at this point now where Fortnite is no longer like a cool thing to, to do. I think I feel like it's reached such cultural saturation that even saying Fortnite is an eye roll. You know what I mean? We're at maximum, maximum Fortnite. We're at maximum Fortnite saturation. Like, I go on Instagram... I'm checking out any hack, pick a hashtag, any hashtag from video games to stone gamers to, I don't know, Maybelline. There's a, there's a fucking Fortnite clip in there. It's, it's infiltrated all areas of society. It's, it's permeated like the dance club scene, you know, like you will see people doing various Fortnite dances. That's a thing at yeah. the club. At the club. It's weird, man. It's just super weird to watch. Like, I mean, I watched a, a video the other... I didn't intention... Well, I didn't... I don't know. I watched it after it autoplayed, which happens to be like... And the, you're, you're making a lot of explanations for you were watching Fortnite videos. I mean, you know, it was a dude... I read them for the articles. <laughs> oh, I let my Playboy subscription lapse a long time ago. Um, the, uh, you know, it was like a well-dressed dude in a suit... With another friend who was well dressed in a suit, looked like they just got off of work, and then they busted out into a Fortnite dance. And I was like, "Really, you guys too? You, you too, it's, it's, investment banker Larry? Wow, everybody! It's it's the new planking. It's just the whole thing. Anyway, played a little bit of that on Switch. A little bit challenging to get my fingers around those buttons uh, in in undocked mode, but man, it's really good. It's a good game. Damn it, it's fun to play. Yeah, it's fun to play. Yeah." 
feel a little dirty, but it's fun to play. Um, but I have been playing another game, Dan, and it's one that I'm extremely happy to report I've actually been able to play. You'll remember I picked up a copy of this game just prior to that. Fresh. Yep, fresh a copy. Fresh physical copy. Fresh physical copy. Updated it, left for my trip, and then, of course, lost the Switch on the airplane. Uh, that was Dead Cells. Managed to secure me another copy. Turns out that one's not a limited release. It's everywhere. You can you can buy it. You can buy it from a newspaper stand on the corner at this point. It's Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. But uh but I, I was able to jump into Dead Cells. Dan, do you like do you like Metroid? I love Metroid. Do you like Castlevania? I love Castlevania. Do you like roguelikes, Dan? Oh, roguelike is my middle name. And do you like beautiful pixelated graphics? It's classic, it's timeless, and somehow it's clean. I love it. Well, it's like you took all of those things, whizzed it up in a blender, and poured it straight into your fucking mouth hole. That's the mouth that I eat with. <laughs> That's the mouth that you kiss your mama with. Yeah, man, uh, Dead Cells is a truly memorable game. Let me start there. It's a Metroidvania roguelike, and by that I mean that 2D side-scrolling, deliciously pixelated classic um, You know that has some pretty unique conventions and... Uh, has had me playing it nonstop for the last two weeks. I will tell you, if you don't like roguelikes, guess what? What? <laughs> Stay away. It's it's a hundred percent. It's not for you. Not for you. It's a hundred percent a roguelike. And I found myself, you know, going into this game, I was really of the opinion that roguelikes were my jam. I've played many, you know, but what I realized after getting into Dead Cells is I've not played many for very long. I've played a lot of them for a short time. Dead Cells is the first to actually capture my attention long enough to have me playing for an extended period of time. And I came to came to battle with a couple couple things about roguelikes. You know, it's it's a game that dumps you into the first level of the game and you 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 open up on the scene and you're going to open up on that scene about a, a thousand more times. And that can be really taxing sometimes. You know, I've had to put down the game from time to time because I'm just tired of playing through the first level again. But I led with like my biggest piece of discontent because everything else about this game is incredible. Just amazing. Let me, let me jump into it. But first, have you played any other roguelikes, Dan? I've played uh, like an, an innumerable amount of roguelikes. It's one of those Steam categories I've told it to keep showing me these games. So yeah, I've, I've gone waist deep, everything from, uh, um, you know, uh, Pits of Ang Band, which is, if you don't know, a text base essentially um, roguelike uh, to th- more modern titles like uh, you mentioned it earlier, Crypt of the Necro Dancer. How does the uh, roguelike elements play in this one? Like, what are the roguelike mechanics? Well, I mean, and that's the thing. So it's like, you know, this game is one that, and I was reading the Kotaku review um, before. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember Jason Schreier, maybe. But before I before I jumped into into Dead Cells, I was angrily awaiting for myself to get a new Switch. I read about Dead Cells, and and he put something really succinctly. It was that his first playthrough of Dead Cells was about five minutes, and his most recent playthrough of Dead Cells was one hour and twenty seven minutes. And it's a really great way to express Dead Cells in that it's not the same game from start to finish though you are playing the same tile sets and the same maps and you're, you're kind of weaving your way through the game in a similar way it, the way that the game evolves from the abilities you get and the new weapons you unlock and the um uh i guess the the the, the depth that you get into the game and how you 
out-level some of the earlier spaces that initially gave you challenges, it, it's it's fascinating because it turns into this full-length experience that you get to you get to run through. I mean, an hour and 30 minutes, for example, is an extremely long time to go through a game where if you die, you go back to the beginning and start at zero, right? You, you know that. Wow. So, so, but Dead Cells gets you there in a way that's really satisfying. So, you know, you open up on the scene and just like in Metroid, this is a, a series of levels that have a, a multiple branching paths. You can unlock these things called runes uh, by beating little mini bosses or sub bosses that allow you to access new new areas. So, for example, you know the first guy you kill lets you grow plants in the level, vines in the level that you can climb up and get to new new areas, right? And every single time you clear an area, you'll come to this in between space where you can unlock based on the amount of enemies that you've defeated previously and orbs, air quotes, that you've collected, kind of like souls and dark souls. Um, yeah. You know, you can unlock new abilities that are persistent throughout the rest of the game and every future playthrough. For example, you could unlock a skill that allows you to, you know, use two or three or four healing potions as opposed to one every time you play through the game, naturally increasing the amount of longevity you have in the game as you unlock things. So, you know, you right, become right. you become more powerful. You also unlock weapons that then can reappear with more frequency as you go through the game. So you're you're almost like selectively unlocking a series of weapons that you want to enjoy and jump in with as you play through these many iterations of the same level that are randomized, right? But what's mm. what's really cool about this game, what's really cool about this game is that like roguelikes to me are all about flow. So the combat, it goes without saying, is really, really well executed. It feels great. It's really, really um, responsive. You know, you've got two buttons, really. You've got your attack and you've got your dodge, right? Your dodge roll. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. You have some tertiary buttons that allow you to drop traps or like shoot an arrow or a secondary weapon or whatever. But generally speaking, you're using your attack and your dodge. And so the whole game is about positioning. And what that means is, is because the, 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 the gameplay is relatively straightforward, it's all about reflexes and positioning, you can either go fast or you can go slow. And when you first start playing through that initial level, you know, you drop into the game and now you're exploring this full kind of maze-like network of, of tiles woven together in this 2D side-scroller fashion, right? you're naturally going to explore it and look for every crevice and look for all the different unlocks that you can get. And that's your slow kind of gameplay, right? But the 300th time that you end up in that level, you're not going to be taking as much time. And so as you run through it, what the game does is if you get to the next phase, the next level, quickly enough, you can actually unlock these time doors that give you a ton of uh, additional resources. So you're rewarded for taking your time and exploring the level to find different, you know, weapons that you can use and find different secrets because the game is filled with secrets. But when you're, you know, at a, at a more advanced spot in the game where you're running through those earlier levels, you're rewarded for the time trialness of, of getting to the next stage quickly. It's really cool the way your that they balance those things up. is rewarded by benefits like those timed open doors. That's an interesting aspect. What's interesting also is I'm not hearing a lot of traditional roguelike um, qualities. Are the enemies always the same or were they randomly generated? So the the tile sets are randomly, sorry, the tile sets not randomly generated. The way it's oriented is randomly generated. So the, the levels, 
tend to follow a similar structure. For example, you can always be sure that in the first level you're going to come across, you know, the the giant chest and there's going to be somewhere in the map that you can find a store that will sell you one of three items. And so there's some consistency yeah. there, but the map is randomized right. and the enemy placements and the enemy uh types within a certain category for that specific map are randomized but no gotcha. it's not a scenario where you know you're encountering wildly different enemies on a map generally speaking as you've gone through you know the map once you've t you've usually seen the full breadth of enemies that it has to offer right i'm getting the roguelike element now makes sense yeah and, and I, I didn't mention that i, I sorry i i, I kind of took it for granted but but yeah You're i mean forgiven ah yes there, there there are there are the randomized elements that dead cells brings to bear but you know it's it's also there's little touches it's not it's not a lore heavy game like there, there's very little in the way of storyline you're basically like a uh an animated ball of sludge that keeps possessing corpses to run through this really terrible spooky uh, maybe Dead Cells is my Halloween game. Spooky, kind of um, uncanny world. But there's little bits of lore. Like you can jump into these rooms um, that, uh, that you know, give you just little snippets of what the inhabitants of the room were doing in like the prison, for example. It's just, they're all disjointed, but they create an atmosphere of like, you know, loneliness, hopelessness. It's a, it's a really dark place that then got hit by a plague. And there's all sorts of little tidbits that I won't spoil. But alongside with jumping into these little lore rooms, there's also huge amount of secrets that you can stumble across as you're playing through the game. Like, you know, you can unlock these challenge rooms or stumble across these challenge rooms, which are quite difficult. They're extremely varied, and they usually provide you with some serious loot, uh, but the probability of you getting utterly crushed inside of them is, is, is high. So once every five, ten playthroughs, you'll stumble across these challenge rooms, and it's a legitimate question of, do I want to lose my progress to now for the chance of you know going and gaining some enhanced rewards to maybe make it to the end? There's some interesting decisions there that create a really varied playthrough every time you go. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean... What can I say about Dead Cells? You know, the the game is extremely uh, extremely atmospheric. The gameplay is extremely addictive. The way that your character grows from run to run is semi persistent and and feels good. It encourages you to use all of the new weapons you're unlocking. You know, because there's no skill tree, for example, that forces you into using one specific kind of build. Every new run, you're you know you're free to experiment with new weapons, um, and you know overall, it's a game that's easy to pick up and get into. Uh, but I'll get that'll have you stuck in for a little while. So it's it's got it's got all of my attention right now and, and well deserved. I'm hearing that there's a lot of replay value. I love that you're escalating power. The question is, Andy, is it 420 friendly? <laughs> we have, yeah it's definitely 420 friendly buddy it's uh it's visually a delight you know it's really nice to look at um the game the cool thing about it is the gameplay like i said is really simple right it's you know a couple buttons there's not a lot of complexity to get around how to maneuver through the maps so you don't really even need previous experience to kind of get what's going on as you go through the levels you might get to a new level Right. But it's it's largely the same the same activities that you've done previously. You're just you, you know, you're jumping around a new tile set. So that's, you know, perfectly, perfectly able to grok it after smoking. Uh, also employing traps and new weapons to take down 
difficult enemies is super satisfying and um you know it's really varied so it's it's hard to get bored with this game again outside of having to revisit that first level maybe too many times if you're on a particularly challenging point and you're you're dying a lot that can be a little frustrating and once or twice has caused me to put down the game for a little stretch um if you can get past that and you can kind of persevere Every single time that you get past the first five minutes of the game, it has you sucked in. First five minutes can be a bit of a grind sometimes, especially if you've already done it like eight times that night. But right after that five-minute mark, you're you're you got your first couple weapons, you've got your first couple upgrades, you've you know got a unique character on the go, and you're you're cooking, you're cooking with gas, you know. Sounds like I'm gonna have to give this bad boy a whirl. Yeah, well, after after Boxing Day, once you grab that yeah. switch. And, and pry it away from my sweet, sweet lady. <laughs> no doubt, buddy. No doubt. Uh, what about you? What have you been up to? What have you been playing, Dan? Oh, Andy, you know it. I know it. I've been playing on the high seas with Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag uh, uh, for the PS4. Uh, I mention it because this thing's on every platform uh, you can shake a stick at, uh, as you can see. Uh, you could do this for PC or Xbox One or 360 or the Wii or PS3. I got this version. Um, it's got some extra Promiscuous content. Promiscuous Black Flag. That's right. Gets around. The, the perfect and game I, for a butt pirate like you. Oh, buddy. It's right up my shivered timbers. I've gone ahead and uh, tossed this disc in the tray and uh, really enjoyed a couple things right off the bat. Andy, you've played some Assassin's Creed games, I know, and... And you probably notice what I do. Sometimes they're a little bit slow to get started, right? Oh, almost inevitably. Yep. Exposition, setting the tone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who and are cool. you? I like that shit. Who's the character? Yeah, let you know about the city. There's some tutorials. This game wastes no time. It drops you right into a sea battle. Um, you're quickly marooned on an island um, with an assassin um, whom, uh, spoilers, first 10 minutes, you take his identity um and uh and sort of uh, impersonate him for quite some time um doesn't pull you, any of the balloons eh? doesn't uh, doesn't does doesn't not. doesn't yank your bloomers and i actually was hesitant to get this one started because i'm like there's gonna be a ramp up that i'm not willing to do i don't know about you but you know how there's two things there's the um great assassin part and there's a part where you're just like a dude in modern day and you, there's a thing where they're going through your DNA and recreating memories. That that stuff I'm not very interested in. I, I want to be the guy. I don't want to be the ancestor dude. Those parts, you know, uh, are minimized in this game, and I'm happy for that. So uh, you get tossed in the golden age of piracy. Spend more uh, time uh, blasting your cannon instead yes, right. of stroking it. <laughs> I, Andy... I think that maybe we should pause the podcast. You should get some me time, get the KY out, blast your own cannon, and we'll come back. That's <laughs> well, all butt pirates and cannon blast. Oh, man. Andy, do you have a fear boner right now? Is it like a Halloween? Listen, buddy, we're not all butt pirates. We don't all have KY on hand. Uh, on, she's, on deck. she's just below deck. We don't, know. we don't all have KY on deck. Uh, this landlubber's lube to the brim. Put your harpoon back in and get on with the review. Oh, great. So, as I was saying, um, you know, and for the serious tone of pirates, which is a lot of murdering and pillaging, uh, right away you can tell that the tone is a lot lighter, and I love that as well. Your um, your your character is wisecracking. He's actually really charismatic. A lot of the previous um, 
uh, Assassin's Creed main characters like Ezio, they all kind of had the same personality. This guy's got a much, uh, he's like a delightful brigand. Uh, and you get that right from the beginning. And I love that. Um, you get the next gen experience. We're talking minimal draw dis- distance or minimal loading and huge draw distances as you're looking over the open seas. Uh, the camera zooms out from the ship when you hit maximum speed, and you feel like you're at the helm of this beautiful ship, the Jackdaw. And it, if you're if you like being a pirate, this has got it. the The speakers are hitting you with the sounds of the wind. Uh, your your sailors are singing sea shanties. Uh, it's great. Uh, there's orders being shouted out. Uh, the visuals are gorgeous. I love that. And you get thrown into it. And that's where the game is the best. You just take off on your own. You're onto the high seas. You're shooting ships. You're building an armada. Uh, you know, you're you're upgrading your uh, your own ship. Discovering seeking, uh, sorry, hidden sunken treasures, um, you know, attacking forts. That's the greatest thing. It's the part where this game let me down a bit is the main story is like a little bit, it's a little bit forced. It doesn't make a lot of sense. They kind of string things together. Like, so you're a pirate, right? And you kill an assassin. So that means you're an assassin. You're a pirate wearing assassin's clothes, right? Right. Well, for some reason, you can do all the assassin stuff. You're you're an expert hider. You can dive off these towers. You can do this the sneaky blade. Apparently, he just knows how to do that. They don't explain that at all. He's just got it. Listen, man, you take a pirate. You remove you remove a lifetime of drinking rum. All of a sudden, you're a ninja. Am I right? Uh, Andy, you're wrong. There are two camps. There are the pirate. There are the ninja. They're natural enemies. I, I, that's <laughs> kind know? of the thing. It's like we're talking about, right? yeah, assassins. Probably your closest bet would be a ninja. In fact, ninjas are just Japanese assassins. Don't fucking discriminate. Pirates, right. not, no, exactly. not assassins. Not assassins. For real. That, um, you know, they come in cannons blasting, like you mentioned. So, uh, you know, no I consistency, kind of, I'm really. like, Assassin's Creed. I'm like, they're going to reveal this in the story. I'm like, there's going to be an explanation. He was a failed assassin. Um, you know, he knows about the order. No. And, and and this sort of thing keeps cropping up. Like, I'm taking on this mission. Yeah, I kicked you know, out of finally pirate got tired of a butt pirate. That's right. I can't believe you've gone back to this terrible goof. <laughs> it's a bad goof. <laughs> You're uh, like this is gonna land the fifth time. <laughs> so anyway, um, yar, another shot of starboard missed heartily. Anyway, uh, so I'm like I finally got tired of hitting the high seas. I've I've conquered way too much of the open map. I'm like I should do the second mission, and it, the game's like uh takes me to this island where I'm supposed to be attacking the assassins because they're they're being positioned as the bad guys. And the game's like don't kill anyone. I'm like why would I not kill anyone? I've been killing people left right hither and yon just a just a trail of dead bodies it's like don't kill anyone i'm like okay so you get through the mission and you find yeah you find out that you're not killing anyone because the assassins are about to be like okay you're in our order for real now we don't like you but you're in and if you just like drench the body in assassin's blood you know but the game doesn't make there's no reason for it it. even bother to lampshade it It gets like just cuddly it's it's all friendly yeah just don't kill anybody welcome to the friendly you you don't really want to (laughs) welcome to broke back island right yeah and so and i gotta tell you the assassin's creed series while it let go of some of its old sort of heavy uh, mechanisms like uh, an hour of tutorial it holds on to stuff that i am just so done with 
I, I don't I, climbing buildings just for the sake to climb a building isn't that interesting this far into the series and the game is still dropping endless collectibles like these little memory shards that you got to climb a building uh that's not interesting to me anymore really? leave that stuff behind I, so i gotta i gotta like i gotta respectfully disagree with you here because to me assassin's creed is about so you know assassin's creed above all for me is like an opportunity to um explore every nook and cranny of a setting right it's that's it's that kind of historical fiction porn right and the you know the climb listen the climbing of the buildings or the mast or whatever it is is an, is an excuse to show off the panorama that is the setting they've created let's let's call it what it is yeah it's cool to Homie, have the three-dimensional it is overdone they could take out half of them you would still have all you still have every single island the port towns are so cool the character models are varied you feel like you're going to tortuga and havana and it, like it's neat it really is but like andy i'm talking about like there's an island that you gotta go go to and there's just it's just like three trees and then you have to grab this shard. There's nothing there. There's no point. The collectible it's the stupid. collectibles are the collectibles are an excuse to in a historic it's like your it's like your quasi archaeological hat. You know, it's it's about As, even if it's not historically relevant, even if it's not a data point, you 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 know, you're you're futzing around, picking up the things in the in the in the world. That, it's their opportunity to lead you through the world. Let I me kinda, tell I you, dig, as the guy that played the game to the guy that didn't play the game, the 50 islands that you're making me stop at that there's nothing cool to see didn't add anything. And, and that's Cut fair. Him. That's fair. I, I totally Cut I hear him. you on that. I just mean to say, like, the way it was executed in Origins, to me, was awe-inspiring. Like, I really enjoyed it. Oh, and, and I'm sure I'm sure it works in other ones. And I, I didn't mind, remember it vexing me before because you you it gives you cool places to visit to see everything you're right right it didn't have that in this game right you could have lost half of them it's like Easy. a fucking it's like a half broken open crate on a random island you're not there's nothing nothing cool there got it forget the crate man it's the same tree that i've jumped off to grab this grab the same shard as the last 25 <laughs> no, islands. oh that's terrible like i lose it yeah exactly okay. all right all um, right so Sustain. What you also get is a, like that lighter tone is is held out through the whole thing. This game, although you're still stabbing people, it's like it's less violent. Like I feel like the blood spray has been turned down a little bit. The kill sequences have been abbreviated a little bit, um, you know, and it, it, it kind of holds that nice piratey sort of lighthearted har har thing. Um, and the NPCs really make it. There's Blackbeard is in this game. They they hit that piratey mark just in the middle. It's not as bad as I'm doing the pirate voice. It's like hits that part where you get that they're pirates. They're talking like pirates. They have they're speaking of the era, but it's not grating. So I love that too. Um, there is a very cool moment. It's probably my favorite thing in the the whole playthrough. Normally what happens when you um, uh, cripple a ship and board it, there's a sequence that happens where you, you have to kill a certain amount of sailors and blow up a couple things and you get that ship. Well, I had been in this giant armada fight. There was like five ships against my one ship and I crippled a, a bunch of them and I'm boarding them. And the game glitched and it didn't go through the cutscene after of you taking over the ship. So after I killed everybody on the ship, the ship is just desolate. And I go back on my ship and, and take one of the other ships on and one of the other ships on and one of the other ships on until there's just this silent grouping of si of ships on fire floating in the ocean. I'm standing on the mast. I shared you one of these videos on YouTube. Right. 
and it was such an awe-inspiring moment that the game actually doesn't offer um, <laughs> because it speeds it it speeds it along right. quite a bit. So this this is my my I love that the game gets you, it you going. You love standing it really, and basking in the uh, in the the result of your massacre. The carnage, right? There you I go. loved it. This game puts everything on arcade mode. For some people, that's great. I kind of like a little bit more of a simulation pirate thing. Like if I take over a ship. It's just mine now. I don't have to put sailors on it. It doesn't. You have a crew. It does track that. But taking over no ship, another ship, it doesn't reduce your crew number. You don't have to worry about foodstuffs or repairs. You just repair right there on the water. You take another ship, uh, you can scuttle it and use it to repair your ship, um, which is okay. Uh, keeps the game moving. But I would have liked to have a little bit more nitty gritty. Uh, and maybe that's because I'm not playing the storyline. Uh, I'd like some more depth in there. I get why they did it like that. The other part is the game lets you build an armada, which is so cool, and you can send them on expeditions, um, but that game plays very, very shallow as well. Um, you can do two things on the armada screen. You can either make the trade route safer, which puts you into a little, like, um, your guy, it's like a like a, a battleship screen. I'm trying to think of a good example. It's it's like a turn-based screen where it shows your three ships and their three ships, and they all take turns taking their move. And you know when you go into it who's gonna win. There's no nothing interesting really happens there. You can choose whether to drop a fire barrel or not. Um, I would love to see more complexity in there. Uh, there's so much so much opportunity that was missed. Um, but c'est la vie. Uh, the combat they do have in the game, the ship-to-ship -ship combat, is a ton of fun. It is really streamlined, but genuinely enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the thing is, is that the pirate theme to me is always so appealing, but there haven't been a lot of games to me that have at least been mainstream enough for me to either try them or find them interesting. Um, what's cool is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which has come out recently, I understand has similar ship mechanics. I have not played that game yet. It's definitely one for a further mm -hmm. uh, future review. I heard review. that as well. But, uh, but I'm, you know, if Black Flag did it well and you were satisfied with it, then I'm sure the iteration that came, whatever, however many years later in Odyssey is probably something to be to be enjoyed. Um, what's going on with the, sorry, I don't want to derail it. Uh, in fact, let me, let me ask this, uh, let me ask this question. So it sounded like uh, a thumbs up for you or you didn't, you didn't enjoy the main, the main storyline. So not really a pickup. I keep turning to my sweet, sweet lady and saying, you know, this game's good, but I don't think I'm going to keep playing it. And then I play 10 more hours. I'm like, ah, I'm enjoying it, but I don't think I'm going to keep, keep playing it. And then 10 more hours go by. So it's been kind of weird. It's got enough staying power of fun that's kept me going back. Um, I probably will play a little bit more. Uh, I'm, it's hard to say if I'll finish the main quest. Um, you know, it's, it's the things that keep me out of it is another thing it's held on to is you do a lot of trailing people from the roof, rooftops and listening to their conversations while they like dump exposition about the story and i'm like this doesn't work anymore this is a mechanic that isn't good find a different way to tell your story so a I lot of that. great elements a couple story misses i'll i'll probably finish half this game and uh maybe give the main story a miss we'll see i'll i'll, re I'll, I'll report back i'll let you know okay i feel you on that and then uh how about your time on the high seas uh buddy totally there i mean it's uh, such a great opportunity to uh, sail around, fire up a blunt, and uh, and get up to mischief. There's a lot of fun ways to play this game. There are a lot of activities. Um, so yeah, it, it sounds it like most totally of the fun is like screwing me. around in the margins. 
right? Screwing around. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and the game's got huge margins. Half the pages margins. It's like they recognize and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I get that entirely. It sounds it sounds good. I mean, for me, pirates, I'm always in. I'm curious though, like just to just to continue the conversation, like what's going on with that other pirate game, Sea of Thieves? Is that is that had anything? Like I'm, I'm just, I haven't heard of it, heard anything about it for since it came out on Xbox. For is it still just on Xbox? Well, let me take take a look here. Yeah, next it's, it's a Microsoft exp- exclusive between PC and Xbox. It has the crossplay thing that they've been. They've oh yeah, it's been part of their it's part there, of their so their service or whatever the Microsoft. Well, and it's crossplay in the sense that you can go between them. It is part of their service, um, their subscription service as well. Uh, they did initial release and then a second patch that added uh, more content and uh, some more quality of life uh, improvements. I think they're coming out with another yeah, one. Yeah, there's a new, I, there's I a new patch here. Um, the next Sea of Thieves update uh, per WCCF Tech, the next Sea of Thieves update is... Uh, da, da, da. Okay, so per the developers, one thing we're introducing is the shrouded spo- or in the Shrouded Spoils update is Fog. Something that can roll in at any time and obstructs the vision for the player. Spooky. Uh, Makes visibility a lot harder. Crow's Nest, a really important part of the experience, so adding some significance to that role. Uh, Islands and stuff become a lot more treacherous. It's going to be eerie. The audio team has done a great job of upping the creaks and noise of your ship you hear when you're sailing through it. That's cool. Are we talking about fucking fog? That's like... Okay, ship customization will be expanded. Players be able to tweak their wheels, cannons, capstans, and more. And pirate legends are getting new exclusive commendations. Cool, man. I don't know what a whole lot of that means. It seems like if your main feature is fog, I mean, I guess in an atmospheric, you know, uh, immersive role-playing game like that, sandboxy as it is, maybe that's a big thing. Barbie, now with a new hat. It's it's like um, the next release for No Man's Sky is... Uh, they're boning up the underwater portion of the game, which, uh, I, Andy, I don't know if you had a lot of experience with that, but my experience of underwater is try not to go there. It's hard to move and there's nothing interesting. Right. So, uh, so that's a good thing. Uh, it's interesting to see what they'll so do. Maybe, I think maybe it's, fog a good is thing. Huge. it's an opportunity. Maybe, maybe, maybe fog is exactly what this title needs to catapult hey, itself right to the fog. zenith of gameplay. Um, Top of the notch. Sea of Thieves Festival of the Damned looks like they're doing some sort of uh, Halloween event. Anyway, neither here. Yeah, I mean, so the Shrouded Spoils update will have more ship customization options, a new weather condition fog, and commendations for Pirate Legends. I don't know how often they release new updates. It sounds pretty light, but maybe, uh, maybe not. Maybe Sea of Thieves players are really pumped about it. If you're a Sea of Thieves player, uh, hit us up. Let us know how you feel about your favorite yar but pirate game. Uh, okay, it's yeah. Seventh time, like we're going. This for is eight. a bad goof. We let this squid. goof die. Purple Dungeon Squid at gmail.com. You want to go over the smoke sash man before I make another another crappy joke? <laughs> Try one more time. Just say it. But pirate. One of the best. Of the okay, best. great. Yar. Um, uh, yar. Shiver me. Smoke boy. it up. Hit the timber. Hit it from behind. Double stuff that cream puff. Oh, ahoy there, Smoke Sesh Dan.
Are you ready to embark oh. on this endless sea of weed? Land ho. The high seas, as they call them. Yeah, man. I'm. Uh, it's been a while since we've done a smoke sesh. I feel like I've been traveling a lot recently. And uh, those hotels have been a little bit challenging for me to execute in. So I think, uh, think this will be our first session in a while. It's a beautiful time for everyone. Are you, uh, are you going deep on the herb today? Or, or what's, your, what's your move? I got to tell you, uh, full disclosure, um, I, at the top of the cast, was dripping some sublinguals because I, like many others, have not received my online order from the Ontario government. <laughs> uh, it's lost somewhere in the ether. Oh my I God. Got, didn't even get a confirmation. And last time I checked uh, their website, the only thing that they have for sale is uh, uh, marijuana air fresheners. That's all that's left on the website. <laughs> Everything else is cleaned out. <laughs> turns you out can, turns out the Ontario government is just as reliable as your weed man. <laughs> that less though. I can it's like uh, you can buy a, a a mascot from them, Trilly, the smoking trillium and that's it. That's it. Yeah, you're uh, you're texting the Ontario government. Yo man, you got you got the stuff? Like, we've been waiting here for, like, the last 30 minutes. Man, are you coming to Jack in the where, Box? Where are you at with just a you? Where are you at? Uh, he responds four hours later. Sorry, man. Was that my mom's? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, on RK government, whatever you say. Um, Dan, what do you got today? So you got you, you had some sublinguals. I guess it's just me going going deep here then. How's the, how's the sublinguals hitting you? You've been doing a lot of that lately. Uh, they're they're real gentle. They come up slow. Um, this is a THC um, guy around twenty one percent from Peace Naturals. Um, the taste is mild. It is it's quite nice. I'm I'm warm in and around the eyes, ears, face, and nose, and uh, I like that. I like that. I'm in a, I'm in a good place. You're feeling good. Did, about did it. you notice that the light lights went out and like my reaction was not calm, but it was not. <laughs> It was not a panicked crescendo. Like we're talking about scary games. I'm like, hey, hey, lights all just went out, man. Hey, man, this lights out, man. Um, well, I have some Jack Herrer here, Dan. So if you want. Jack yeah, Herrer. A little Jack Herrer. herring bone. Yeah. Um, coincidentally, that you know, one million square foot grow that I had uh, had toured a little earlier on, um, they were they're growing a shitload of Jack Herrer. It seems like a super popular strain. Uh, and it's a, it's a nice upbeat sativa. I want to say it's a pure sativa. So in fact, one of the OG, uh, maybe not. No, sorry. It's, it is a cross, but, um, yeah, apparently a, a, a pretty good one. I've not ever full disclosure, never had Jack Herrer before. So this will be my maiden voyage. Ooh, first and foremost, the hair first and foremost. So I'm going to, um, so let I me, let me take a look Jack at this. Jack Herrer isn't here. full of terror Ooh, jack the jack the the hairer yeah it's an appropriately spooky sounding strain why not right yeah this feels halloween appropriate i, I think so i uh, think so needs a little andy do you want me to tell you what it says here on our our favorite left eye friend leafly.ca mm, i think we could uh, it's leafly.com and i think uh, um not here sir it is leafly.ca and i'll thank you to stay in your lane <laughs> right, correct me, me at your peril oh geez all right let me tell you a little of this nug um this is a uh, <laughs> rather green <laughs> rather green uh, it's it's a like rather a, green how do i say daniel Listen, rather green what do i know about growing and curing weed but this one looks how can i put it freshly spring it looks like a like a nug that you would you would see fresh off the fresh off the stalk you know it's you take it home to meet your family right super vibrant um, 
you know, refreshingly, it's not a super smelly nug. It's one of those ones that has like an initial whiff, but doesn't linger in your nose afterwards. So it's, mm. and I mm. find a lot of sativas are like that. They have like an initial kind of uh, a hit and then, you know, it, there's not a, there's not a lot of dank stinkiness going on after the, f- maybe, maybe that's just the sativas I'm buying. Maybe who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, covered in trichomes, uh, real nice thick frosting on there twirly swirly orange hairs that's what you're looking for i think mm. and uh mm-hmm. you know long buds nice long looking little bud here so uh fresh scented like mm, you know, vegetal vegetal crispness mm-hmm. a little bit a little bit of pine in there maybe give it a little squeeze how does it feel in the hand ooh, bud? it feels nice and i mean ooh, feels nice and s- springy a nice springiness like to it. It's a nice sure. compact it's springiness. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get this uh, let's get this going. Well, I'll tell you what Leafly says about Jack Hare. Jack Hare is the sativa dominant cannabis strain that has gained as much renown as its namesake. The marijuana activist and author of The Emperor Wears No Clothes, combining a haze hybrid with a Northern Lights number five. <laughs> Uh, it all, and Shiva Skunk Cross. Sensi Seeds created Jack Hare, hoping to capture both the cerebral Ooh. elevation associated with sativas and the heavy resin producing, or sorry, production of indicas. Its rich genetic background gives rise to several different variations of Jack Hare, each phenotype bearing its own unique features and effects. However, consumers typically describe that this 55% sativa hybrid as blissful, clear-headed, and creative. Uh, Jack Hare was created in the Netherlands in the mid-1990s, where it is later distributed by Dutch pharmacies as a recognized medical-grade strain. Since then, the spicy, pine-scented sativa has taken home numerous awards for its quality and potency. Many breeders have attempted to cultivate this staple strain themselves in sunny or Mediterranean climates. Indoor growth should wait 50 to 70 days for Jack Hare to flower. So just a little, just a little, uh, little hit off the noggin there. Um, my, uh, Dan, I don't know what the hell is going on. My allergies are still kicking around. We're like, we're like going on November here. This is, this is unprecedented. Yeah, this is lengthy. Have we not got a frost? Have, yeah, I think we have. Have you experienced the same thing? Cause like, I'm just not loving this. I'm in the, I don't mean to, to do this to you, buddy, but I've been in the clear for at least dose weeks, maybe trace. Okay. I got you. Yeah, I mean, fascinating. Yeah, so just a little bit of, uh, a little bit, honestly, spicy and pine scented. I think you said those words. Those words came out of your mouth, it right? Did. Yeah, it man, that's did, right. Yeah. That's right. What's there? A little spicy on the tip of the tongue. A little tingle. Uh, you know that that refreshing pine on the exhale. Jack Hare is feels like your every man's strain, and it definitely <laughs> is a. Um, it's it's an up it's an uplifting sativa. What to say other than not a green crack? You know, not a not a right in there. It feels gentle. Yeah, um, it's taking its time. Yeah, I mean, like you know, euphoric in the way that a nice light indica is, but in the opposite direction of making me feel less tired and more alert. So it's I it's like, like that, yeah. Andy. So you said you got some spice in the tongue. Did you also get some wood? On the song, I couldn't. I couldn't say that I did. No, got spice, a little bit of spice, a little bit of uh, that pine on the exhale, and this feels like the cup of coffee of weed. You know, hmm. it's not an espresso shot. It's a nice cup mm-hmm. of Joe. You could probably yeah. toke on it for some time. Um, you know, just a little little sip is not enough to get you. Ooh, 
it is mm, good feeling though. I like that. I like what I'm hearing. Um, I was looking for a THC count on this bad boy, and I am not seeing it. Um, Leafly does put it as a happy, uplifted, energetic strain uh, with focus and euphoria on the back end. So uh, I like what I'm seeing there. I'm surprised Jeremy Irons didn't make an appearance. You know, uh, today uh, I was going to give him a break. He's got the week off. Uh, We'll see if he comes back next week. If you want to hear Jeremy Irons, uh, hit us up on our email, purpledungeonsquid at gmail and uh, let us know if you want jeremy back Mm, he's expensive it's tough to get him on short notice we're coming up on our 30th episode i feel like we need something exciting i feel like we need i don't know something new something something fresh something fresh like a need like a guest or like a circus animal i don't know if that the circus animal translates to podcast i think that's more of a visual format it's it's for me dan it's not for you know it's just just for us Mm. just for us Mm. um gotcha remember i think it was like episode two or three we used to play 20 questions after smoking down yes (laughs) i feel like we need maybe that's why all our podcasts were three hours long (laughs) 20 questions was always how much laundry do you think our listeners have They're out of laundry detergent. That's how much. Uh, they're not. They're not commuting from Calabasas to Orono. Like it's <laughs> Calabasas to Orono. Where is that? Even? It's a shorter drive. Calabasas. That's a long drive. Someone's been watching yeah. the hills. Someone's been watching the Kardashians. Is that how is that is that relevant? That's a place they go. I think Calabasas. Is it? I uh, Andy. You've outed yourself so hard. They live in Calabasas, you fucking clown. Do they? Do they? Is Calabasas in California? Calabasas I think it's in Texas. Is, no, it's Calabasas is not in Texas. Where is it? Calabasas is a wealthy Los Angeles suburb. Is it? Okay, cool. It sounds like it should be in Texas, doesn't it? I feel like, like it was Mexico? in a I feel like it was in a um I feel like it was in a what's his name? What's that guy? Post Malone song recently, the one where he's buying sushi. Oh, is it? Buying sushi. Yeah, Calabasas is in California. We're definitely in the post post smoke set this now. This is where we are. It. We've wandered into a mist. We've wandered into where Calabasas. Where towns, where towns sound like they're from. It's Calab- it does sound like a Texas thing, though. I could see Calabasas. Being tech- Speaking of the wild, wild west, drum roll, Dan. That's the best drum roll I can give you right there. Red Dead Redemption 2 has released. Man, is that like, that is such, oh man, what news? Such huge news. It's, uh, this is, this was the title of the year, man. This is the title everyone's been waiting for. It's the title that, uh, I know you picked it up, correct? I did, I did. Oh man, I'm, you know, I, I'm, the thing is, is when here at the Purple Dungeon Squid, we try and not pick up the same titles because it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense from the perspective of talking about it on the podcast. But damn, yeah. if I ever don't want to, like, I really want to pick up Red Dead Red Dead Redemption Two, and I think I'm going to because it's from what I've heard of this and read extensively of this game, it is uh, it's probably the closest thing that anyone could call a masterpiece in the video game world. Um, haven't played it. Read a lot of reviews, read a lot of impressions on it. Sounds like a masterpiece. Would you agree? Andy, I, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag and I'll say it is very good. I'm not deep enough in it yet to say masterpiece, but I mean, boy, the world they've created. Before I go there, number one, before you buy it, Andy, 
check out my super secret YouTube channel. I've been uploading videos for you to take a peek because I know you'll be a couple weeks maybe before you can really sink your teeth in. So some of my adventures are up there. Take Buddy, I would jump into your YouTube. super secret YouTube channel, except every third video is just, you know, I had to, I had to flag them at NSFW, you know. Finish, finish strong. Good, good, good. <laughs> so anyway, community against yeah, the community I, I think that was the title they? of the video, finish strong. Didn't love it. Finish strong. I give it, I give it a four there out it is. Of 10. Brought I it a, back. I give it a My four guy. out of 10. <laughs> I give that goof a 10 out of 10. Yeah, good job. God bless um, you. So I, my Red Dead Redemption was a rocky start. I, uh, it was crashing on me a lot. And uh, I really? went to the interwebs and it, it was crashing for other folks too. So uh, first I moved it from my external drive to my internal drive. Oh, still crashing. No, I, don't do I tried that. to update and update and update. Still crashing. I deleted like the 100 gig install and reinstalled it. And that seemed to have done it. Fingers crossed. Um, but like it seems to be uh, rough on some people's playstations and a couple of people were saying perhaps it has re- wrecked their playstation that's i think a little bit of fear mongering but uh, I don't know, let man. me tell like, you we're, like we're so spoiled as console owners like i don't even remember when i bought my playstation 4 i feel like it was gifted to me at birth like i've had it for so fucking long and it's so funny because like you know years and years of video games with increasingly uh with increasingly ambitious tech keep coming out and it's a scenario where like i keep expecting all of these new games to play at exactly the same frame frame rate as whatever my mid 2012 releases did or whatever you know oh we demand it we demand yeah we it. are we are voracious in our desire like, for constant graphical pro. improvement and stability yeah, yeah. i'm not buying I know the what you pro mod like i'm not buying the iphone s version of this playstation like no give me a ps5 i'm not buying your hyper enhanced graphics more what does a more powerful ps4 even mean i don't even know like you're playing the same uh, andy game. you're starting to sound like a get off my grass old man so i'm gonna stop you there was and, no, no there was no uh, nintendo the, 65 man like that's just fuck uh, that yes annoying. there was there was an expansion pack Dude, the expansion pack was like tired? 40 dollars do you ever get tired of being wrong what do you take expansion and it like it plugged in the expansion pack like fine sell me a i don't know sell me a widget an add-on video card 40 dollar you know external video card to like replace my old one with whatever andy you sound like a really dumb executive that's pitching like the sega add-on system we'll just add on a cd and then 32x and like your thing starts to look like a frankenstein (laughs) worst console ever no but um come on you're gonna buy the playstation 4 pro you're gonna shut out four hundred dollars so you, you know can get what slightly the, better you frame know what the situation is do you know what the situation is if my if my playstation breaks i will find a secondary market ps4 pro but like i just can't justify it no. like i don't look at my at my red dead redemption screen and go that could be better like i'm just i'm i it's as good as i need it to be if someone handed me one i would use it sure. happily but you're right but we're not, you know yeah I, and you're right you and I that, aren't 4k bros though that's not you're not like we're like play video games on that you know lcd screen that i bought in 2011 you know like th- we're, we're those guys i think you've had your extremely obnoxious sorry i shouldn't say obnoxious it's just very large your very large tv since as long as i've known you <laughs> i think you've had it a long time I bought it off. It's a Sony um, Bravia, and I bought it off a Dutch lady who uh, her son put it up. And I and I was like, I walk into this this house, and it's like an eighty year old's house. There's a sewing machine and wallpaper and old lady couches. And this huge Sony Bravia, and I'm like, hey, 
are you sure you want to sell this for, I think it was a thousand bucks. It was very reasonable. The TV was probably five grand at the time. And she's like, it's just too big. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can handle it. And I'll tell you something for a fact. My 60-inch Sony Bravia fits into the back of a 2002 hatchback Civic. I know that for a fact. Nice, nice. Good good call, good <laughs> so, call. And it, but by the way, back a 60-inch, before we go there, a 60-inch television yeah. is the kind of television that stays, like, again, you've probably had this thing for over a decade, right? It, it's it's a stern eight years old. Okay, so very good. So you, you've had this thing for a long time. It's the kind of thing that you sign lease agreements around. You're like, I'm going to go rent That's a right. new place, but it better fit my 60-inch television. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of apartments out there that don't have 60-inch rooms. Sorry, we only have 55-inch It can't rooms. be the whole wall, bro. Come on. Uh, uh, oh, it certainly Play can. Play ball buddy. here. Um, I once, I once went Dan. to look. When you ever look in a, uh, a a university town for an apartment, I saw apartments where literally the fridge door couldn't open all the way, and the guy's like, "When do you want to move in?" I'm like, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> oh, dude, university They've students like, are moving into their first place, you know, and uh, it's expected that you're going to deal with some shit in your first place. Not me. I mean, we had like an executive condo downtown. <laughs> Toronto. I it was saw, obnoxious. The amazing first pad I had with my roommate, but I've seen a lot of terrible. It was ones. a condo. It was a frigging condo. You guys had walk up. Um, yeah, no, but it was uh, really nice. I, Andy, I saw a place in Kingston that the guy brought us in, and there was a a, a, a man in this. Let's call it a hovel. There was one lamp lighting the entire place. There's a guy on the couch. And there were heroin paraphernalia on the table. The guy was a skinny, oh, freckled man. man, and he was petting a cat. And when I came in, what you could smell was urine. And I had my girlfriend and her mom with us. And I walked in, and they were coming behind me. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This one, I think, is already taken. Uh, we'll just zip right out of here. And the guy's like, oh, don't worry. I have an another place. Like, he was thinking... Maybe I can sell these guys this heroin pad. Yeah. Maybe they're taker. Sure. Wow. Yeah. Dear Lord. So uh, we have some other tenants. Sometimes they like to come into your living. It's really a shared living space. Not officially. We haven't subdivided it. But, you know, they do like to come here and tweak out from time to time. <laughs> but I'll terrible. be honest, Andy, the real killer, I walked in and I went, Wood panels. Ooh. Oh yeah, let's well, get out of here. Can't, everything you, else was for big, forgivable. Yeah, everything you can't deal with that. You know uh, that faux Wayne Scotting. Um, boy, yeah. Back to Red Dead Redemption. So the one thing that I'm that I'm curious about. Uh, I understand that the game touts an enormous amount of additional dynamic content, right? And I'm um, you know I know Red Dead Redemption had a ton of random events, or I should say that it had random events, but a lot of them. Um, would repeat themselves often to the point where they stopped being these immersive like world building side vignettes and started just being a bit of a gamey nuisance. Uh, so I'm hoping that, and I think that it's, it's uh, the consensus is that the Red Dead Redemption 2 landscape is super comprehensive and probably more content than any human being has any right to play. Uh, and even if that's not the case, it's probably the upper limit of what you can actually achieve in a video game because by all accounts the work required to create this thing over eight years has been utterly unreasonable. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, it's probably not a consideration, but I'm curious just how, how dynamic the, the landscape actually is, you know, boy words. Um, yes, this game, uh, it has those things that you're talking about. And I've been at it for, I want to say 
10 hours maybe like and given there's some technical difficulties intermingled in there but uh it feels like my toes just in the water i've been to like two or three towns and stuff is coming up but what's come up for me is uh, there's like a game within the game now and andy have you seen westworld no i haven't is that the one with all the robots And the theme parks? A massive understatement. So the premise of Westworld is that in the future, uh, androids have got to the point where they're hyper-realistic and be programmed with a kind of AI. And uh, there's a theme park built around, you know, rich people wanting to go play the wild, wild west. I'm like accepting this game on one level that I'm Arthur Morgan, uh, outlaw gunslinger with his uh, gang that's on the run. Uh, And they create your gang very much as there's outlaws, but there's real people in there. There's like some some women and uh, other like more common citizens mixed in there and you're kind of providing for them. So there's like some some humanitarian grounding for your group. You're not just a, a, a roving gang of murderers. Um, and I believe it. It's very believable when you ride into town. It feels like the the, the town. But slowly and slow, more and more, I started to feel this like little itch because these random things would happen on the road. Guy is, you know, pinned under his horse and you've got to take him up and he's talking about his family as you're riding him home. And, and, and you know, later he shows up and offers you another quest. And I'm starting to feel like, is the twist of this game that... I paid to be in this experience and they're all androids that are like showing up at convenience because every time I'm showing up somewhere, something's just happening. And, just a and lot then they're like, I, and I get that. It's like, by the way, <laughs> by the way, stranger, I have this map into a perilous gulch, but I heard there are some natives in the area. They'll skin you alive. It's, it's like, we the, should go. Yeah. It's the price. The eternal problem of like creating content for a video game is that some, some shit always has to be happening. And when you're creating a believable world, you can't get away from that or else you just create a boring, believable world. So like, you know, Andy. you can populate a world, uh, but you know, you, you better not make the only thing to do for the next 20 minutes of gameplay, go get a cup of Joe and a beer, you know? Andy, it wasn't a problem before. I love it when it comes up. It's not dialed up too big. You spend a lot of this game riding around. Uh, and the game's made that fun in two ways. Number one, everything's beautiful. The horse feels beautiful. The terrain is beautiful. The you know, the country, the open country is gorgeous. And you can turn it on cinematic mode, which will pull the camera out and give you different cool dynamic angles. And as long as you're holding X and you've set a waypoint, it'll keep you on the road and it'll, it'll ride around stuff. So that's glorious. But, and... This extra dimension of the Westworld vibe, I've honestly, I'm always creating games inside games in my head, but it's made it more fun. I'm like, I'm pretending instead of John Marsden, I'm like Tom Grimshaw, who's got his busy corporate life, who's taking some time off to be in the Westworld uh, of Red Dead Redemption, and he's just blowing off some steam. And that gives me permission to do the evil run through that I always find so difficult. Um, So that's enjoyable as well. Yeah, sorry, it's it's not John Marsden, right? It's... Oh, sorry. Yeah, Arthur Morgan. Arthur Morgan, excuse me. Yeah, well, I mean, we can... Yeah, I'm sure we'll get a chance to explore the uh, the full depths of this game next week. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, reading the Kotaku review of the game, which is lengthy and extensive, and, and, and you know, Kotaku's Jason Schreier uh, at the end asks... Actually, no, sorry, they were, they were discussing the... Um, let's call it the allegations of egregious overtime and, and punishing work culture around rock stars 
you know uh, the crunch yeah the crunch the culture, crunch culture. Yeah. yeah that, that was a it was the, the a, video game industry is known for it's known for the crunch well, culture. well sure and it, we got to release by this time we got one shot to put out this game and make it excellent the games are boom or bust very often so crunch culture develops it's natural sure, sure and i get it entirely i mean you know the the examples touted by Ro- again because it's a high profile release it's a high profile company and it's got let's call it's it a because reputation because the for it. ceo came out and said some of us are have pulled a hundred hour working weeks oh, I know. and yeah. what he meant to say is some of us as in three of us um, but you know, in a in a uh, environment where people are already sensitive about the the crunch culture, um, he really had to clean that up. Well, it's challenging, right? Because it's like, and and so just to finish the sentence, it's you know, Jason Schreier asks a question at the end of the extremely lengthy, well researched article. It's like, wow, man, the, the, you know, guy wrote a thesis on this topic, <laughs> you know. But uh, it's a great article. Go check it out. It's on the front page of Kotaku right now. But is it possible to make great art without unreasonable sacrifice? It's a question that's haunted Mm. the video game industry for decades, and it's one that remains difficult, if not impossible, to definitively answer. It's so damn true, man, because, like, you know, video games are, are, uh, they're pushing the envelope constantly from, you know, the time when Mega Man released and was the hot shit to now. We're constantly pushing the envelope towards more and more realism, towards more and more creating a simulation. And, you know, at at some point, you're literally creating... Depending on the scope that you're 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 building your game within, you're actually creating a world, and that's that's no small task because uh, the team gets larger and larger and larger. The more you think about all of the things that have to go into that world to make it believable, and so you know you think about even ten years ago. Let's look at the what came out ten years ago. Were we just playing around with Vice City? Like Vice City had just come out. That was the extent of a world, um, you know, that that had been created and the the upper limit of what was achievable. And you go ten years into the future, and now we're dealing with Red Dead Redemption Two. You know, the the leaps forward in scope of all the interconnected pieces and the graphical, you know. Uh, um, advancements and the and the just the ways that these, this game looks to create realism. You sit back and think to yourself, even with eight years of time and an enormous team, with all the bottlenecks in decision making, and with all the you know um, the the way that tech in, evolves, even within those eight years, you know, how can you possibly staff enough people, work enough hours, and deal with all of those challenges um, to create this game without an unreasonable amount of dedication to it, you know? The productions are closer to um, movie productions than they are to Pac-Man these days. Um, There's stunt teams. There's voice talent teams. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, motion capture teams. And they they really do... It's at the scope of of a blockbuster uh, film. And, And now that they're out out earning them in some cases you know as well known gta 5 is now the the most money earningest title of anything any entertainment title of all time beating out every movie you know every every piece of media that's ever put out so they're they're as big as it gets you know so you're 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 right about that and uh there's a lot there's a lot that we want in our games now you know just a moment ago i was going on about how um, you know, my pirate game didn't have a deep enough armada simulator in it. You know? Right. Well, I mean, you know, we're it's so funny because like we're super spoiled, man. 
Like as as gamers, it's gone from what's interesting. You know, what, what's an interesting gameplay loop that I can plug into for a little while? Like like let's take Dead Cells for example. Not that that's not a you know a triumphant feat, but it's a relatively straightforward game, right? We understand that it's a game. It's not trying to simulate anything. It's creating a scenario where you know I can play through this thing and enjoy. Uh, the progressive gameplay and and mastering the reflexes required to be good at it, right? It's gone from that to you know whatever Red Dead Redemption Two is, in in the, by way of simulation or by way of storytelling vehicle, right? And you're right, it's like a movie production, but it doesn't last two hours, Dan. <laughs> it, it you know we expect it to last two hundred hours, right? And we expect it to have everything all of the bases covered from the perspective of is it real enough for me to uh you know to lose myself in is it a compelling enough story that i can find it interesting as interesting as a movie because i got to stick with it for a hell of a lot longer than a two-hour feature-length film is it you know delivering that content with to me in a way that is um both quick enough that i don't lose interest and get lost but also allows me to not feel like I'm being railroaded through my choices? Is there enough compelling side content that doesn't just feel like filler, but gives me a real experience of like, you know, a heroic moment in the day in the life of this character? It's like asking for your life to be super interesting all the time and for someone to design that experience for you for the next 200 hours. It's a hell of a feat, man. It's a just, it's a hell of a requirement list, you know? I know what you mean. It's interesting because uh, it's clear the Red Dead is very interesting and there's lots of content, but uh, Red Dead Redemption asks you to cool your jets quite a bit in the sense that you're in a, a lot of times you're riding between towns on your horse in real time and it kind of forces you to take a breath. And it, it most of the time it's glorious. You know, a couple of times I've been like, oh, you know, can we just get there? And there, you know, fast travel unlocks at some point. It's not true, like click anywhere, or go to any waypoint. There's some fast travel. But, you know, the game asks you to kind of slow down and take your time a little bit, which is interesting. And, and I think maybe only the Wild West can get away with that. You know what I mean? I, I get it, man. I get it. I, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm more along the wavelength of what's packed in there. But I, I hear what you're saying. You know, and, and again, you know, the stylistic, the way that Red Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption Two unfolds itself, I have no idea. I've not touched on it yet, but you know, even just thinking about games that have had a lot of longevity, like Skyrim, or what I would expect, like what would get me excited about a new game? It's not that I'm not excited about a Red Dead Redemption Two. You know, it's not that I would wouldn't be excited about the same thing. You know, rolling out in the new Elder Scrolls title. It's just like it's hard to beat. We're wait. We're past the point. We're creating a realistic, compelling, feature, chock full, extremely expansive, immersive, you know, endlessly replayable game is like the zenith of of game design, right? We're way past that point. It's now expected. It's like the baseline, you know? So when you talk about a studio and what they have to do to push the envelope, because the culture of video gaming is you either you know, iterate on something that's loved and, and, and established or else you push the fucking envelope. I don't even know what pushing the envelope looks like anymore. It probably exists somewhere in VR, but even that it's like, now you step into the shoes of VR and you're designing a game world that can accommodate, you know, a 3d extrasensory experience. Damn dude. That I, I like, who's going to make that game, you know? 
the, that's why you see so much sequel itis, and it, it's not always a bad thing. But the 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 thought is, if we're gonna dump, you know, uh, two hundred million dollars of resources um, into our game, we want at least the IP to be loved, you know. And you see that in VR, like uh, we're talking about Alien Isolation. They launched the game as a standard title and then adapted it to VR, used the the IP and and used the assets they already had and adapted it. And it was, it was pretty successful. Um, you know, really risky to take a AAA title uh, into really fresh space. Uh, Destiny is one of the most recent ones I can think of, but you don't see a ton of it. No, you don't. I mean, or you can just skip developing new games altogether and go the Bethesda route and just release Skyrim on something else. Just uh, get it out. Get it out there on your on your tanning bed. On your, <laughs> your t- not a bad idea actually. Tanning bed with a built-in Skyrim. I, can, I have to think about that. Print one. it. Speaking of porting uh, old games to new shit, Diablo three is coming to the Switch on November second, and I'm kind of pumped about it to be honest with you. Just around the corner. Yeah, that's a lot to fit into a little guy, um, but I think that this is going to be a little bit of a couch co-op revival. Um, especially if you got a couple switches, um, you know, in the room. I feel like couch co-op is an under. I feel like couch co-op revival is what happened when Diablo, you know, Diablo Three Reaper of Souls or was it Reaper of Souls Ultimate Evil Edition, whatever the hell it was, uh, when that came out on PS4. That was the that was the couch co-op revival, at least in my household. I feel like this is the bus stop co-op revival. I feel like this is the hotel room. Uh, you know, co-op revival. I feel it's the waiting for a fucking plane in the airport co-op revival or the 5 p.m. let's crack a beer and play fucking Diablo 3 at the bar co-op revival. I'm pumped about this if you can't tell because I love Diablo 3, but when I fire on my PlayStation 4, there's just way more shit that's more recent and more uh, pressing for me to turn to. Putting this on the Switch, letting me take it to anywhere I please... Um, shitty birthday party, you know, uh, uh, just finished cutting my lawn and my neighbor came over, you name it. Diablo three can, can make an appearance, you know, Andy, uh, do not bring Diablo three to a bar. It's so depressing. I saw a couple, we were out at the bar, uh, me and, uh, our, our friend Rob, we're having a couple pints and I looked to my left, we're watching the game and I see a, a couple who said, Let's go to the bar, and then you know he said that, and she said, "Let's Netflix and chill." And then they looked at each other and were like, "Let's do both." So they got on their sweats. They came out to the bar on a Friday night, the pub, and they're both like almost laying down, watching stuff on their phones and eating bar food. And I'm like, "You guys, you guys lost the plot." I, yeah, okay, that that I can get the Netflix and chill not being a bar activity, but dude. Street Fighter, Diablo three, any other game, fine. You want like, listen, I, I, I want to watch the World Series just as much as any other person. I'm down with watching sports at a bar with a pint in hand. But if I have two bros, three seats down, having a blasty playing some Street Fighter, and you know they're willing to throw me a Joy-Con so I can get in on that shit, that's an ultimate Friday night right there. So I'd, I'd ask you to hold your tongue. I don't know, buddy. I, I we're we're in counter now because we we're countering each other again and again. But I gotta tell you, too much screen time is happening in my life to sacrifice my very rare face to face pint time. Not nary a screen needs to be there. But you know, different strokes are different folks, buddy. If you had it there, maybe I'd want to uh, 
do a couple rounds of uh, of Street Fighter. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? I think it's subjective. It's all all about the time and the in the place and the in the people and the experience. Um, but I, I digress. Having D three available anywhere. Uh, for me, is a great one. It's a great one because D3 is a great jump-in-and-play kind of game. You know, yes, the progression is great, but it's also got that, like, gauntlet-esque, hey, just jump in here and smash some creatures. You can figure out, you know, the controls on this stock player two crusader I've got going on here, and, and let's let's go and kill some monsters. I feel like it's, it's going to be a really good one. Um, I'm curious, though, about the profiles, if they save locally or if they're part of battle.net. So, like, if I could, I wonder if I could use my D3 profile from PS4, and if you could do the same thing, and we could both play those characters on our Switch? Probably not, right? Because you need to have a Switch version of the game, I think. Hard to know. Hard to know. That's an interesting question. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, those Joy-Cons, it feels like they're a little bit tiny for the kind of buttons required to make uh, make D three happen, you know, I've only experienced it experienced it on my PS three or sorry, my PS four and uh, PC. But maybe it's workable. I looked at the button scheme; they've 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 done some chopping and twisting. Well, I feel like where they've sacrificed is on the menu shit, right? Like they've sacrificed on you know what it takes to equip your character. You've got to like push in the thumbstick and hit the minus button or something. Like obviously that's not intuitive, but the actual like going around and mashing shit. My understanding is it's pretty intuitive. So like if they can manage that, right. if I've got a switch in my backpack and I can pull off two you know two joy cons and we can have a blast wherever we are I, i'm totally in so d3 coming to switch november 2nd goes without saying that is an auto pickup for me my dude um how about yourself well you don't have a switch yet but after boxing day yeah uh it's pretty far down the list pal uh that's a maybe sometimes probably not right we'll see yeah got it well maybe we'll just have to play my copy um leafly those generally awesome people over at Leafly uh, sparked an article back in September. It's called Cannabis Strains with Rare and Unusual Terpene Profiles. And Terps, T-E-R-P-Z, hashtag, um, are, are hot, man, are hot. You heard about them Terps? Heard about them cannabinoids in Terps, Dan? It's a word on the street, buddy. Word on the street is that's that's the shit. But allegedly, um, you know, I so listen, I've gotten pretty familiar with linalool and myrcene and these other uh, listed these other listed terpenes and when you look at weed in general right you've got cannabis you've got sorry the the thc and cbd percentages and generally the percentages of um of of sorry terpenes that create the unique strain that you're looking at am i right yes so you know, Leafly said or says here, let's take a look at a few examples of rare and unconventional turf terpene profiles expressed by Dutch Treat, Ace of Spades, and Tickle Kush. So I've not had any of these three, um, and I won't go too deep into any of them, but the one terpene that I've never heard of before and that they talk about at length is terpinoline. And terpinoline is the least common, common terpene from a related story that they have nested in this article. It's like, how can I put it? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a terpene that's often not listed because it's found in many cannabis strains, but usually only in very small amounts. It's one of those, one of them sleeper, one of them sleeper terpenes, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when I look through the giant list of, of terpenes and leafly again has a really nice 
uh, infographic they put together about this thing. But you know, I can kind of I can kind of identify some of the strains that I'm really fond of based off of these 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 profiles. For example, Mersine is that mango, lemongrass, thyme, and hops kind of flavor, and you know, I recognize that out of some of the strains that I'm really I'm really into. What about you, buddy? Any uh, any terpenes that stand out for you as your favorites? Um, I really like the nose on uh, caryophyllene, um, which is that pepper, that pepper aroma. Right. Um, you know, that's that's a big a big uh, one for me. I enjoy. I, I like uh, linalool quite a bit. Um, you know, you get that that fruit rind, juniper, peppermint kind of vibe. Um, yeah, you it's know, like floral um, kind. Of, linalool is like I think the, the probably the most the most prominent one would be like lavender. It's like a lavendery one. Yeah, I mean, and and you get you get some fruit rind and stuff like that in there too. Sure. I like my serene as well. Um, those are those are the ones I that really jump out for me. But yeah, what about you? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Mersine, Um I, I think we're in the same page. Sorry, did I say linalool? I lin limo linoline when I said that before. I Lim- apologize. Limonene. Right. I'm mi- limonene. Limonene. Thank you. I mixed them up, buddy. Yeah. I mixed them up. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I got you. I feel you. Um, but anyway, this terp. Terpinoline, Jesus, <laughs> they don't make it easy. Terpinoline, terpinoline is uh, has got that has got a nutmeg, tea tree, apple, cumin vibe going on, and um, yeah, pretty neat. Haven't haven't really. I mean, it's, those are, those are some those are some flavors that we don't often you know uh, come across in our in our smoke sessions. So it's neat to, and I, I don't know if this has been recently kind of exposed as being prevalent in for example dutch treat i don't know if you know um it's there's been a focus on it recently or if it's something that's just kind of always been there but it's cool to me to kind of like have these these terpenes um introduced to me in this isolated kind of way or rolled out over time like you know there's there's what uh, eight that are identified on this on this board here and the combinations of a pinene and a myrcene, for example, you know what pine needle and hops and lemongrass might taste taste like next to you know the the terpinoline and you know uh, whatever linalool combo. It's like, damn man, weeds really cooking. <laughs> weeds got some flavors <laughs> in the kitchen. <laughs> oh, your thesis, I love yeah. it. Um, yeah, you know what, like. Terpinoline is a potentially a really heavy hitter because um, it's one with some interesting uh, potential medical pr- uh, uh, value around uh, as uh, an antibacterial, antifungal, anti-cancer um, terp. Um, not proven out, obviously. There's going to be need to be some studies down, but those are some of the the, the heavier claims that it has uh, in terms of the potential um, medical application. Um, you know, and they talk about it as a strong sort of sedative. Um, so, you know, that's, it's kind of a terp to keep an eye on. Uh, and I think we're going to see show up a lot, you know, it's, uh, or be more focused on it's uh, present in, in some, some strains that I'm familiar with some that I'm not a sensi star for sure. Um, I'm familiar with, but there's stuff I haven't heard of. Like you mentioned, uh, Ace, Treat, of Spades, Ace of Spades, yeah. pit, pit bowl, sour tangy, snow cap. Sour banana sherbet. Oh yeah, I've had jelly some sour tangy before. That's a, it's some good shit. Nice. It's there's one really here. Uh, sour tsunami. Little eggy. Little eggy. Say eggy. Eggy. No, no, eggy? no. Uh, uh, banana e. Okay. What? I don't know. Sour tangy always smells it like bananas like, to me. 
it tastes like an omelet. Um, no, I got you. I got <laughs> it tastes you. like an omelet. That sounds like the worst weed of all time. Speaking of tastes like an omelet, Mary Jane just uh, just announced that Snoop Dogg has got a new cookbook coming out. Snoop Dogg is cooking in the kitchen. <laughs> this is oh, Martha Stewart finally got to him. She keeps going. You need to do a cookbook, Snoop. Oh yeah, you have to. Oh yeah, it's a good thing. Listen, man. You know what? Looking at the title, of, like looking at the cover of this book, is fucking hilarious. <laughs> It's really you good. You know what you know why they did this? You know why they did this cookbook, right? What's that? They did it for the they did it for the puns. Yeah. From Crook to Cook is the name of the uh of the book. Snoop Dogs from Try Cook to Snoop's Cook. Try Snoop's Bow Wow Brownies. Yeah, well he's got um so the first recipe that they So uh, listen, if you're thinking Snoop Dogg, I feel like ribs make sense. You know, baby got back ribs, grilling some ribs out in California. I'm feeling that. Uh, these actually look really, really tight. Now there, there's a, ni- a nice big pile of white bread next to it. That's what. Uh, that's that's the caption of the end. Oh yeah, white bread only. <laughs> that's amazing. But uh, but no, these ribs look super legit. Turns out Snoop Dogg is also a huge fan of lobster thermidor. It's like one of his signature dishes, which is fucking crazy. So if I can share the story, uh, apparently Snoop Dogg went to Australia, and he was staying at a a, a hotel called the Versace Hotel. So it's a seven-star hotel where everything is Versace. The entire hotel. Floors, doors, towels, socks, robes. Everything's fucking Versace. And so that's awesome in and of itself. But apparently the the, the chef put him on to Lobster Thermidor. And he comes back to the States and he's trying to get Lobster Thermidor. And it doesn't taste the same. And so he uh, yeah went back to Australia and, uh, and scooped that recipe. And now it's available for you in Crook to Cook. Snoop Dogg, Platinum Recipes from the Boss Dog's Kitchen. I'm telling you, man, it's all about the puns. There's going to be some gin and juice um, recipes there in there is. for There's sure. There's, in fact, a remixed gin and juice. <laughs> I mean, of course, like you have to be an idiot not to put that one in. But, uh, but yeah, no, Snoop, Snoop's, listen, you know what? I think for me, it's a thumbs up. I'm picking up Snoop Dogg's cookbook. What about you? Buddy, I'm going to read your copy. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Listen, I just want to serve lobster thermidor to someone, and when they ask me where I picked it, <laughs> excuse me. All right, lobster thermidor. Back to one. <laughs> there we go. When they ask me where I I picked up my recipe, I I just want to tell them the boss dog, the D O double G. The boss, the boss dog. I let. I'd like also like to be there. When that happens, mostly for the lobster thermidor, um, but yeah, for that sweet joke as well. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Destiny Two, you've been playing it recently? No. <laughs> Give me something, <laughs> fucker. Give me something. Uh, hold on, let me try it. Let me try. It. Let me vamp a little bit. Dan, you know what, Andy? I, I haven't got around to it, but I'm interested. I'm listening, and I think it's a it's a good topic of discussion. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Destiny 2 Forsaken. So Bungie has elected that the previous two uh, DLCs, Curse of Osiris and Warmind, are now going to be free with the purchase of Forsaken. Good move, I yeah, think. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Get people back in the seat. You know, they know that a lot of the player base has dropped off with like kind of the lukewarm Warmind, Curse of Osiris. You know, they've been so-so on the reception. So getting back, be, get, getting butts back in the seats by... Uh, you know, including those in there. I think it's smart. It's the closest I've ever been to jumping back in and getting up to speed. Yeah, I mean, uh, I hear Forsaken was actually quite good, no? 
Um, it's it got a better response. Um, well, Forsaken is is the newest one, and yeah, it's got it's got a reasonable response, right? Then um, that's why they're hoping say. this is the magnet to getting people back in. Yeah, um, I, I like I fired I, up and Des- I've heard okay things. Sorry, yeah, I, I fired up Destiny. Um, dot dot dot. Oh, sixty percent of active Destiny two players bought Forsaken. That's cool. PC gamers or PC games news, excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I fired up Destiny two. I want to say a couple weeks ago, and um, yeah, I was having fun with it, man. Like. It's really challenging to match the level of gunplay that Destiny 2 has going on. It just feels so fucking good. And, you know, I really am I'm just a fan of that universe. The lore is awesome. Like, it's it's got a great vibe. I like everything to do with the classes and the traveler and, and the way that they present the way that they present story in some way. Like, not necessarily that the story is blowing my mind, but the way that it's presented always gives me that. It, it feels like Destiny, which is a great great which is great praise for uh you know an yeah. original sci-fi ip that's come out in the past couple of years it's definitely done its own yeah, thing the universe is curated in such a cool way mm. um you know and back to the the crunch culture type thing you know one of the the cries you heard keep hearing from the audience is more content um and that can be challenging to deliver when you're doing a full pro- pro- court press across you know story and ambiance and lore and vocal talent and whatnot because they had you know it was no small team that put this game together no no and it's yeah i mean again the expectations are massive especially because the challenge is with a game like destiny 2 you know your core fan base the people who are going to come back and buy your you know your expansion on day one probably are the people who are chowing through your content at an alarming rate like you it's it's like the catch-22 of of building a game like destiny 2 you need an active player base or else everybody goes away Right, people want to go where other people are playing. The challenge is, is that if you build the systems required, or you build the kind of game required to hook someone into that level and keep them playing compulsively, you need to create a really strong game, which requires a ton of resources, right? And so you're doing all these things to attract players, but keeping them around for a super long time is fucking challenging because you need to go make more of it when they've digested it in a weekend you know and they've done a lot of smart things to keep people in the crucible (laughs) has a bunch of uh you know modes of play like iron banner and uh i believe it's called this the you know the spire and yeah they've done a lot of smart things to keep people coming back um you know so yeah it's it's we're uh, us gamers we're a hard group to please yeah no doubt and i mean you know i think that that's one thing destiny 2 has going for it it's that the crucible feels like a much more natural um crossover than any other mmorpg's answer to pvp you know you got world of warcraft for example and uh i've dipped into the new expansion spoilers on world of warcraft and it's sorry the, <laughs> i said spoilers too early <laughs> I've dipped into the new World of Warcraft expansion. Spoilers. It feels a lot like playing World of Warcraft. Um, But I'll talk about that another day. With Destiny, though, you know, it's much easier for someone who's only been playing PvP to jump into... Uh, sorry, PVE to jump into player versus player. It just feels like more of a natural transition than, for example, player versus environment in a, in a you know, push-button MMO like WoW to then the reflex style of gameplay that's required in pvp you know mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah they you can go back and forth and feel like it's a very similar experience yeah i get that yeah yes indeed um oh boy buddy i think it's uh we're, we're getting close to we're getting close to adjourning here um what else did we have on the list to chat about before we come to a close 
let's talk a little bit about the PlayStation Classic. Uh, we got a list of games here out. Oh man, yeah. Of what's going to be included I'm on this? So guy. not interested in that because I have a PlayStation Two. Uh, but please continue. Here's where it falls down. They got some great titles on here. I think it's like 25 ish. Some of them that you'd expect. Uh, you know, Final Fantasy VII, Resident Evil, uh, the director's cut. Uh, you know, Tekken, Twisted Metal, Wild Arms, Metal Gear Solid. But the game falls flat in two ways for me. There's 25 games, means there's tons of games that got left out, and this console doesn't have an Ethernet port. What? Would okay. have made this would have made this an auto pickup for me is if they said, here are the launch games, and every month you can have a $3 subscription or whatever it is and add on to your PlayStation Plus, and you'll get the next you know pack, and they'll do an, an RPG Classics pack, and a this pack, and a that pack. Um, yeah, that would have made sense. You know, but because it's, yeah, because this is so limited and, uh, you know, they've really limited the scope of it. I, I can't see picking this up. You know what I mean? Like there's games on here I've never heard of that clearly just like rushed and put stuff on here like Jumping Flash, Intelligent Cube. Who was jumping up and down for Cool Borders 2? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and what's totally absent is any kind of Crash Bandicoot. Any kind of Spyro, probably because they're releasing the remasters and really the reimaginings of those that that trilogy, um, you know. But all these, all the great RPGs are off this list. There's no Chrono Trigger here at all. There's there's tons missing off this list, uh, you know. And for that reason, I'm out. Yeah, I get that. Um, you know, for me, even like let's take Twisted Metal because Twisted Metal's on here. You've got what Ridge Racer Type 4, Super Puzzle Fighter 2 Turbo, whatever. Um, several other games here that Destruction Derby, Cool Borders 2, whatever, that could be played online. And, you know, sorry, sorry, could be played multiplayer. And for certain, there's plenty of PlayStation Classic titles that are best in multiplayer. If they had included some sort of access to play online, and had kept a relatively narrow band of titles, the good news is, is you could play some of those classic titles online knowing that there'd be a player base to play with, right? You could revisit, and that would be a unique enough, <clears throat> excuse me, proposition for me. Because right now, I can just go fucking buy a copy of Final Fantasy VII or Wild Arms or, you know, whatever, Resident Evil Director's Cut and pop it into my PlayStation 2 and be totally fine. That tech isn't so, you know, old that it's not readily unavailable. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't need yeah. a separate, like, you know, with the Super Nintendo, it felt like, okay, yeah, if I want all of those games, I'm going to go hunt down those games or the average person would have to go and hunt down those games to, to get it going on a, on a contained system. But PlayStation, you know, a PS2 is not that far in the different distant past. And more importantly than that, PSX and PS2 games are super readily available. You walk into any game store, but forget about game store. You walk in any pawn shop, any, you know, uh, whatever, secondhand shop in America, and you can find probably almost all of these titles available for, you know, $20 or under, right? Metal Gear Solid, easy, you know. now Nowadays, Final Fantasy VII is easier to find. And so... Well, a lot of these <laughs> games have, have seen re-releases, like... Right on different consoles like a lot of them have come out either on a compilation disc or on pc that makes them infinitely accessible 
um, very often in better versions. So right, and there's not you know, enough. What are we doing? Well, and there's not enough like like playing Super Nintendo, playing Nintendo. Those are two unique experiences. Even I would argue Nintendo 64. It's the way the controller fits in your hand. It's that era of gaming is removed from this era of gaming. But like your PlayStation 2 and your you know Nintendo GameCube, arguably, and your you know uh, Xbox. All from from then on, you've got an era of gaming that's not so. Uh, outside of graphical, you know, uh, potency, it's not so far removed from what we've got today. And more importantly, many of those systems and their later compatriots are backwards compatible or have some sort of online component where I can download most of those games for like three bucks. You know what I mean? And so packaging it all up, there's got to be some additional value there other than, hey, you can play fucking Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, okay. I could also do that on my PlayStation 2. Again, if you offered yeah, me... It feels like <clears throat> just a hop-on on the gimmick of let's re-release classic systems and hey, it looks like a PS1. Uh, but you're right. I think it's one of the least potent offerings yeah. for those reasons you've said. If they offered an online mode where I could go back right? and play any of those, whatever, whatever, name the game, Twisted Metal, whatever, in multiplayer online same old PSX just as if I had my buddy <clears throat> excuse me on the couch next to me with controller port 2 plugged in I, I might be open to that because A we'd have a much narrower band of online titles to play on that console guaranteeing that there'd be some people to play with right and B you know, it would just be neat to be able to diversify your play. You know, you don't always have a buddy who wants to come over and play Twisted Metal on PS1, right? Yeah, it's cool that, you know, maybe there's a community of people, as they do on the internet, that can congregate around this title and, like, you know, have a make a thing of it, right? As it stands, though, no support for online, no future titles being released, just basically, you know, a, a self-contained environment with a couple titles on it that I'd want to play and a whole bunch I wouldn't. Nope. Hard pass. Yeah, they kind of they kind of neutered themselves, and they they <clears throat> could have been very cool. It's a shame. It is a shame, isn't it? It is a shame. Well, listen, yep. pal. It is uh, it is that time of year, and I want to close off our our whole broadcast here by uh, by snuggling in. And we've really been loving on Leafly this episode, eh? Mm-hmm. There, there are 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 just our closest ally. Such kind They folks. don't know who we are, but that's okay. Um, they write us checks anyway. I keep sending them no notes, <laughs> professing my love. It's like that, that's, that Eminem song. Hopefully not like that Eminem song. Uh, I'm pretty sure people die in yeah, that. Yeah, it's a weird one. They don't make mm -mm. it. Bailey Ron. Oh, Bailey. Uh, Leafly stack picks, cannabis strains, and products for cozy fall days. I don't know about you, Dan, but I love me a cozy fall day turns out that uh, the number one pick on this list is actually jack herrer wow wow bailey has to wow. say that sativa dominant wow. jack herrer is a strain for all seasons but the sweet pine scented bud is especially well suited for autumn the warm spicy flavor fills the body with a comfy cozy sensation throughout every limb while wrapping the mind in a blissful blanket can confirm that's what's up wowzers Ooh. secondly uh infused syrups dan let me ask you, are you open to, like, this is actually kind of neat, like an infused, oh, it's mostly CBD, it's not THC, whatever. The idea of like a syrup on your shelf that you could pour into some tea with a little CBD or a little THC and turn your, uh, you know, turn your hot piping tea into a, into a medicated beverage. You feeling that? 
T nothing. Get it on them flapjacks, dog. I gotta be honest, medicated Paul, flapjacks. Paul Bunyan awesome. is going to be chopping some extra trees wrapped in that Jack Hare. Let me tell you, buddy, that's the power play. Mm. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. So between uh, between infused syrup on your pancakes and uh, the last one here, which is infused bath bombs. I've never had a bath bomb, Dan, have you? Is it bath bomb or is it bath bomb? Bomb, like going to blow you the fuck up. It sounds cooler than it is because they really what they are is bath dissolvers. I wonder... If they do anything to actually create a psychoactive effect, like can you uh, can you absorb uh, well, activated yes. THC into your? Does it have to be act? But it have yeah. to be activated, right? Yeah, like in this, I think it would have to be processed in a similar way that weed butter would be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but they have topical treatments. They have ointments. It 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 would be interesting. Yeah, to see what that effect is, Andy. We should test it on the podcast. Two man hot tub scenario. What do you think? Uh, oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Two man. Okay, great. Live Two stream. Uh, live stream. I'll get my booty shorts. You get your uh, mm-hmm. your spandex, and we'll uh, we'll make a we'll make a weekend of it. That's a good time. I'm there. Yep. No one else is, but but we'll be there. Listener questions or games you want us to play? <laughs> Purple Dungeon Squid at gmail.com. Hit us up. H M H U. H-U-P, HUP. X-G-O-T. And think of a friend that you'd like to take a bath bomb with and tell them about our podcast, because that would be a just grand. Just make sure that unlike Louis C.K., you get consent first. Mm, No. (laughs) (laughs) Consent is important, folks. Super, super important to get some consent before you jump in a bath with someone. Um, Finally, make sure you follow us on Instagram, at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time. Please, my friends, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high.